Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And uh, weirdly enough, then, you got the mail this morning talking about an Indian summer where we'll be uh, apparently hotter or warmer than Istanbul. They're suggesting 20 degrees on on Thursday. I, I mean, maybe somewhere, but if you look at the forecast for down around here on the south coast, I don't see any of that at all on Thursday, but you could be proved wrong. You know, when we get wet and windy conditions say uh, today and indeed on Wednesday, they're saying it'll improve on Thursday with a tropical swell, uh, seeing temperatures reaching 20 degrees. <laughs> Stick a pin in a map and tell me where that will be, will you? Because I don't see it down here. Very sad news with regards to Vicky Phelan. Um, she posted at uh, the weekend uh, worrying news bad news, sad news, she's back home in Ireland now and all of the papers have it on their inside pages today Vicky's fresh worry as the sun puts it today, the mail says um, the words that we don't want to hear, Vicky home for palliative care, following bad news, she's going for more very, very aggressive chemo, but she's taking a rest from everything, just to reunite with her family for the next couple of weeks so we're reading her posts at the weekend and she very honestly and openly and bravely says the chemo will keep me alive until Christmas. Isn't that just so sad? Vicky set for home as tumour is found. I don't know why the star is saying that because I believe she's home already and has been for a couple of days. It's it's very sad. New tumours found, you see, in America. Uh, too many tumours for her to continue with the groundbreaking um, uh, treatment that she was about to get in America. So it's very, very sad. And of course, our thoughts are with her and all of the family and the brave battle that she's fighting. Uh, the papers this morning talk about, and they put a cost on it, 165 billion euro to get Ireland moving again. That's what I mean when we talk about, say, for instance, motorways or uh, metro rail links or improving roads. And you know something, Cork will get a lot of it. We will finally get a metro. We will also get the uh, Cork to Limerick motorway and a lot of bits and pieces in between, including some kind of a new change uh, to uh, what they call Metro, well, Metro North. I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. That's kind of like from Butterfield through Mallow and all the way to Middleton, but also an improvement on, on on some kind of a North Ring road system that they're talking about. But it makes the front page of many papers, like the M20 features in the front of the Independent today, um, where they talk about the M20 Cork to Limerick motorway has made it into this. A tranche of money, part of the one one six five billion, and much of that actually, uh, you know, the improvements with regards to maybe a metro rail link, has to do with the fact that there are pl- well, they're they're saying uh, that we will have a fifty five percent population growth on Leaside between now and twenty forty. So it's fine having roads, roads and rail, but where are all of these people going to live? Uh, Owen English and Aoife Moore and the Examiner today talk about um, this in quite some detail. The new commuter rail link for Cork will link Buttevant with Mallow, Mallow with Kent, Kent with Cove and Cove with Middleton. And they call that um, a commuter rail network. It already exists. I mean, would somebody please come on the air and explain to me what I'm missing in this story, a Buttevant to Middleton and Cove Rail Link, which already exists through Buttevant, Mallow, Kent, right? You get off that train, you get on a train then to Middleton, Cove, throw in Carrick Tool and, and all the rest of it, photo. Would it not make more sense to have a metro link? I'm just asking this question of, of you guys listen to me right now, would it not make more sense to have a metro rail link that went from Ballancolig, came through the city, uh, went down through the estuary, 
where there's going to be huge amounts of growth with regards to population and building houses and apartment blocks down the Keys, into Blackrock, through Blackrock, over to Rochestown, down to the likes of Passage West, Monkstown, linking with Ring of Skiddy, and on to Carrigaline and Crosshaven. No? Am I talking through my hat? Text 0868104106. One paper says it'll be a fiver on the pension. The mail this morning says, put a tenner on the pension or it'll be war. Um, war with regards to backbenchers within Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, is it? So a tenner on the pension is what's to be expected. I don't know we'd have, whether we'd have another pensioners uh, march to the doll. Um, I mean... Is it tenor enough? You've got to ask yourself that question. The pop makes many of the papers also. It's being wound down, as we know, but there's still 100,000 people in receipt of the, the pop payment. It's falling every single week. And last week we heard that one in 10 pop payments should never have been made and should never have been claimed. I hope to have more on that in the next couple of days. But um, we do know that uh, many people are still on or over 100,000. And they're talking also a couple of uh, interesting points with regards to the upcoming budget. So I mentioned the tenor on, the, on, on say, for instance, um, the old age pension. They are also talking about the fuel allowance being increased by a fiver. They're talking about people getting a 30% return on the cost of your electricity and your heating bill. Could you imagine if that actually happened? You get 30% of your bill back. Is that what they're saying? For people who are working from home? That's kind of an interesting one. They're also saying that the children's minister is pushing in the budget for measures to cut the cost of childcare and also to increase extra parental leave for parents. And one final thing they're suggesting in the papers today is that there be no increase in the price of alcohol to appease the hospitality sector. And they're still thinking about whether or not they'll increase the price of fags. But the examiner today says that 94% of uh, rental homes that were checked um, failed inspections, which means that 19 out of every 20 private rental properties inspected last year were found to be in breach of standards for tenancy. Uh, And only 415 of the 20,000 properties checked in Cork actually passed. I mean, that's a bizarre number, isn't it? I mean, unless they have the the standards very, very high or people living in squalor. Uh, Others then deal with, other stories then deal with people who are dealing with all sorts of psychological and depression issues and uh, they say that 5 million antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs were dispensed in the first 8 months of this year 5 million I can't tell you whether or not it's up or down uh, on say pre-COVID, I might have a look at those figures but they talk about it in the sun this morning as being 4,794,740 uh, prescriptions for antidepressant mood tranquilizer stabilizers and um, uh, all sorts of uh, medicine to do with people who are suffering with anxiety and depression. Uh, also, the papers this morning tell us that um, if you didn't know it already, that the alcohol laws in Northern Ireland have been relaxed. They've doubled their drinking up time to an hour and they're allowing premises now to serve until three o'clock in the morning, 104 nights a year. I don't know how they come up with 104 nights, but um, it, you know they're also talking here in, in the south, and it will happen. Uh, pubs and clubs to be allowed open until four or five, perhaps even six o'clock in the morning. So they've got one step ahead of us in the north, and that's already happened. And also, on a lighter note, there's some very interesting stories. Who amongst you, hands up, doing the veil, hands up, Do you take photographs of your food in a restaurant and share them on Instagram or Facebook before you ever tuck into them? I'll bet you do. We all do it. Don't know why we do it, but we do it. Um, And then we want to show it to everybody as if they actually give a damn. 
I don't think people really care. And those that respond with yummo or delish or lucky you or enjoy, they're just probably doing it because they think you need to hear something like that. But they don't mean it. But on top of everything else, apparently sharing your food photos is bad for the waistline. Uh, They're saying that sticking your tasty treats on sites like Instagram before talking into them is bad for your waistline. Apparently, those who photograph their meals... um, uh, Well, the research shows it takes diners who photograph their meals longer to feel full uh, and leaves them more likely to want a second serving or, I suppose, in a restaurant setting to have a dessert. They're saying that particularly the millennials, those born um, in the 80s and 90s, they're the ones who are the biggest uh, guilty culprits with regards to uh, sharing images of food online. I don't know about that. (laughs) I'm not a millennial and I'm nowhere near it. No, I do it. I promise to stop. People probably find it very annoying. Listen, have a scurry around the house there today, will you, at some stage, maybe this afternoon. And come back to me let me know how many broken electrical items you have in the home. You should have 20. Apparently, in an average Irish home, we have 20 electrical items that no longer work. I might come up with a prize this week, actually, for whomever can come up with the most broken electrical items in their home. And that can be anything from an electric toothbrush all the way up to whatever, a tumble dryer, a washing machine, or whatever the case may be, and everything in between. Apparently, we're a nation of hoarders, even when it comes to things that haven't worked in years. Radios, cassette players, as I say, whatever the case may be. If you have an odour issue in the bedroom, very finally, right? With regards to fat flatulence, is it okay to say the four-letter word, F-A-R-T? Or do people get upset about it? Well, if you have a partner, or maybe if it's you, that's guilty of it, in the lab department, in the bed under the duvet, they have created... Uh, an F-A-R-T stopping sheet. It's an anti-flatulence bed sheet, apparently, that has fibres in it, apparently, that absorb the smell before the smell... Air- I know, talking about this at nine, just after nine o'clock in the Monday morning. But it could be, you know, it could be a real lease of life for couples who suffer with this or sleep in separate bedrooms or are having marital problems because of flatulence in the labour. They're some kind of um, harmony duvets, apparently. They have these carbon fibres that neutralise and catch, like dream catchers. They catch the smell before it spreads. I think that could catch on, don't you? The Neil Prenderville Show. Lines are open at 1-850-104-106. Pick up the phone on, uh, you can text 0868-104-106. Particularly if you think that there is a better metro link than the one that's being suggested. Buttevant, Mallow, Kent, Middleton, Cove. Your thoughts on that? Because it is big, big money, this national plan. In fact, the the cabinet are in Cork today. They're in UCC this morning. And then they go from UCC to Porky Cueve. They're announcing the big uh, national development plan. See the weekend, then they were saying war on the car. War on the car. So we'll come back to that and lots more besides. But, uh, unfortunately, it's back to the city centre, which much of the time, particularly by day, is a beautiful place to be. But, unfortunately, there are occasions when people witness things they should not be witnessing. And a lot of it is in the evenings at night. Uh, But also, it's not exclusively then. It can happen by day as well. And so, um, man suffers cuts to face after broad daylight slash attack in a Cork city centre. 
It's a story on Cork Bio at the weekend. A man suffering cuts to his face after being confront, confronted and attacked in the city centre Saturday afternoon. The middle of the day, a slash attack on Patrick's Tree, around about one o'clock. On top of that then, out in Corraheen at the weekend, again on Saturday. 18-year-old man and his cousin walking past a petrol station on the Corraheen Road shortly before midnight. Family say a car suddenly pulled up. Three men jump out. Firstly, they attack the cousin. Then the other young man tries to come to the cousin's aid and they turn on him and beat him severely around the head and face with a hammer. Young lad taken to Cork University Hospital checked for suspected bleed on the brain. He is recovering but sustained serious facial and head injuries and apparently the work to fix his teeth alone could run to many thousands of euro. And on top of that, of course, you have other stories that we've told you from time to time where people are just too afraid. So welcome to Cork, lads. Face slashing on Patrick Street Saturday lunchtime. An alleged attack on three people on Paul Street Saturday evening. A random hammer attack on Corraheen Road on Saturday night. Drug deals, blood on footpath, antisocial behaviour on our trains. Tell you more about that later on. What's happening to our city, I ask you. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You, you can now you? understand, you say, why your wife no longer goes to the city. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, I wouldn't feel threatened that much in Cork City Centre myself, but I can understand why some people, and, and unfortunately, particularly females, feel very threatened. Um, my wife doesn't go to the city centre anymore, you know, because, and, and I'm talking daytime, you know, rather than nighttime, because the last few times she was in there, she got hassled and, you know, felt threatened. And, and it, it's, you know, she came I, home you know, and told you that, was it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. She's not going in there anymore, you know. There, there, there was one occasion Reason enough where she went in to, to go you know, to the usual shop around retail shops and that. And she was hassled no less than five times in the course of her time. And Did she tell you about those hassle episodes? What were they? What were people looking well, for? They're, they're all very low level stuff, you know, just people looking for money and people bumping into you and all that. And, you know, for example, she was going in, you know, like, like cop people do someplace to give a few bob to St. Anthony and St. Augustine's Church. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't get in the door because somebody, there was a guy stood in her way asking her for money, you know. So they, they, that sort of stuff. So, no, she turned around and walked away. Uh, then walking down Oliver Plunk Street later on, some guy came out there by the, the, the where you can exit the queue park, stood in front of her asking for money, you know, and hassling, generally hassling her and that sort of stuff, you know. So, uh, like, that's well, let me ask you, because people will ask this by text, Did, does she ever give any few bob to anybody? No. No, not, not on the street, she wouldn't, okay. you know, but, but she's, she'd be charitable. And, and, you know, she often says that, look, if it's people with addiction problems or, or drink problems, they're, they're both for the grace of God, go away, sort of thing. We have a lot of sympathy, and we have a lot of sympathy for people with problems like that, you know, and, and, and it's terrible. They were all somebody's new baby once upon a time, and they're all human beings, but that doesn't give people the right to hassle people, you know. Like, another incident that, again, would, would have her thinking like that is, she was collecting uh, our daughter from the air coach one day, and the daughter was no sooner off the air coach than some guy was up uh, trying to put her top down kind of thing, you know, and the same guy was walking down the middle of Rainbow Bridge screaming when they had, a bit later when they had driven Rome. Out of his mind, yeah. And I don't know if it was out of his mind or not, but these sort of, it, it, I drove her through town actually recently enough, and we were opposite. Uh, the riverside exit from Merchant's Key Shopping Centre. There's a few bus stops there on the riverside. And we were in the car driving and there was a guy physically beating and he was like proper fisty costic. He was punching a 
girl, you know, there's a girlfriend or wife or whatever, he, he was punching her out onto the road, you know, and, and she was well able to give it back to like that sort of, that's totally, you know, an able-bodied man hitting a woman in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day, and like, okay, that didn't affect us, but you could see there was older people sitting at the bus stop, and they were terrified, like, you know, so, so, that's all. and the thing about it is that, that kind of behaviour, when that's tolerated, what you're saying, the message that's been given out to these thugs, like, is that, sure, that's the grand, that's tolerated, we're allowed to get away with that, we can do more, you know. And, and it's and, having and an impact as well, uh, economically, as well as socially, oh, isn't it? Because it means if your wife isn't going in to do any kind of shopping, that impact impacts yeah. the businesses, doesn't it? it? It does, of course, and she's not alone, you know. I mean, it's not just her, because she'd know from her friends, and, you know, again, it's particularly females feel threatened, and sure, females do a lot of the retail shopping in it the centre of the city anyway, yeah, yeah. and no more than ever. More than ever, do with the situation. No, we need people. We've a beautiful city centre. That that broad sweep of Patrick Street, all the the smaller streets radiating off out of Plunket Street. There, there are beautiful places to walk around. Beautiful places, really, to to, to have the kind of culture like you see in Princess Street, there, where you can have a cup of coffee or a meal outdoors, even yeah. at this time of the year, yeah. you know. Yeah. And we should be capitalising on that. But but we're driving people. What's happening is the to- the tolerance that we're showing towards people with that lower level sort of toggery. I mean. I think there's a law against begging. I, I, I think, to, I, I'm not too sure, but I think there's a legal to actually walk and bump into somebody in the street and ask them for money. But you know that, that. It, you know what you're describing actually isn't exclusive to Cork City. It probably oh, happens in all cities. Yeah. It, 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 it happens in Dublin quite a bit as well, unfortunately. But look, you travel abroad and you've been in many places across the continent of Europe, I'm sure, in your time walking. Also and and I see people, I see people in all of those cities begging and, you know, I see people in all of those cities who clearly have taken very, very serious drugs. Yeah, but, but, but you don't seem to get the same hassle. I, like, I was very recently, for example, there in Budapest and, you know, the, the, the Hungarians drink as much as they are, it's probably more, you know, but, but, but it doesn't seem to manifest itself in, in people hassling, people bumping into you in the streets looking for money. Uh, People getting in your way, people shouting at you. I, I think that uh, I just mentioned that exit out of Kew Park there onto Oliver Plunkett Street earlier. I walked out of that one day myself, and I was no sooner out onto the street that there was a guy stood in my way. Have you any money, buddy? You know, and, yeah. and I said, actually, I haven't. I, I, I if you took credit cards, I couldn't eat all. I was in smart and started screaming at me, walking down the street yeah. behind me, shouting abuse me. I had to turn around to confront him before he went away. But that shouldn't happen. Do you only? Were you being? Were you being smart though? I mean, he might be I looking for something I, to I, get a I bit of food. He was, to be honest, but, yeah. but still, uh, he shouldn't have hassled me first day. You know, you, you should be free to walk around the city centre without getting hassled, that sort of hassle. And I thought the solution is like maybe more guardy actually on the beast rather than driving around in the cars, you know, that if they're there to stop that kind of behaviour. Or, or just don't tolerate it. That behaviour shouldn't be tolerated. Well, you heard about this slashing in the face on Saturday lunchtime, did you? Yeah. I believe it was, well, a, sta- I I believe it was a Stanley time. Blade. Yeah. On, and, pa- on Patrick Street, one o'clock. The, the, yeah, the problem is that if you tolerate the other low-level law-breaking and other low-level behaviour like that, so then do you tolerate that? Maybe you should tolerate the odd slashing and the odd hammer-beating. You know, but where does it stop? It has to stop at the start. It's the old broken windows theory there that in New York that if you see a building with broken windows, then you're more likely to break the other windows in this, and then the crime starts escalating. There. And, and if we tolerate... If we tolerate people hassling people going about their business, then you're going to, you have to tolerate yeah. the next step up in violence and you have to tolerate the next step up in violence beyond that. And you have to, if, if you don't stop it, which is very, very low level, 
what you're creating is a very, very threatening. The Cork City Centre zone today, for the latest, uh, as I say, unfortunately, particularly for females, is quite, it can be quite a threatening space. And, and the, the people won't go into the city centre then. They'll go to the suburban shopping centres, which, you know, yes, they have to survive as well, of course. Uh, but it does not make the experience of the city centre and, and the city centre... Well, you want to be safe. You don't want to be, you don't want to be yeah. sharing the city with somebody who's going around with a Stanley blade, that's for sure. No, you don't. And, yeah. and, and do you want to win there? You want to support the businesses in there. You want to keep a vibrant city centre. Because without a vibrant city centre, cities die anyway. You know, and it doesn't matter what kind of shopping malls you have around the suburbs. You have a, a soulless and a heartless city, which nobody wants to come to anyway. Yeah, I know. So right. That was long-term effects in tourism and all that. And it's sorry. It's so easy to solve. It's just don't tolerate the low level stuff and the higher level stuff doesn't happen you know let me get some more let me get some more thoughts on it regards to you and your wife thank you for that Michael appreciate okay, it right. actually thank yeah, you yeah, somebody suggesting or somebody saying by email that there was um, more than one I've been told that there was uh, three slashings on Paul Street on Saturday evening one person said to be in a very bad state the second bad and the third not seriously injured um, city's gone downhill lately I don't know about that thank you for that email uh, we checked with the guardie they have no record of those uh, slashings on Paul Street, but they certainly have a record of the slashing and the face slashing on uh, uh, on Patrick Street. Apparently, a man was just sitting down with a woman outside a shop. He's probably sitting down in one of those uh, bollard areas, you know, the parapets, uh, when he was approached by another character who confronted him. Uh, they started arguing over money, uh, and then your man launches at the victim as he was sitting down, scuffle ensues, uh, chased by the other man, lunged at him again, traffic had to come to a stop, spilled out onto the road, and your man gets caught up in the face um, after being uh, confronted and attacked in the city uh, Saturday lunchtime. Uh, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I'm also told the guards had no record of the Patrick Street slashing either. They said they were unaware of the incident when we asked on Saturday evening. That says a lot, actually. Maybe there was no guards around. Maybe nobody reported it. I don't know whether the ambulances, if they're called, reported to the guards. I'm sure they do. It might lead you to believe that in all those slashing attacks, the one on Patrick Street and apparently the one, the three slashings on Paul Street Saturday evening, that people just walked off with their injuries and reported to nobody. Uh, or maybe they just go straight to hospital and, I don't know, to the hospital, then contact the Gardaí. But that's the story from Saturday, by all accounts. Um, I might get an update on that, actually. I see now I'm hearing that uh, the Patrick Street attack, um, that the guy who was slashed with that Stanley blade ended up getting 12 stitches. So there you have it. I hate to be, um, you know, starting in a, in a kind of a depressing or negative mood, but you've got to report the stories. A lot of comments coming in, actually, on this and lots more besides. Uh, the last time that we took a look at um, the Dublin to Cork train and vice versa, um, it was for all the wrong reasons. That was the back end of July when there was this character on the train wa- waving a machete uh, at a girl on the Dublin to Cork train. Um, that's not the first time that we've heard of antisocial behaviour and indeed it's not the first time that we heard of uh, people using uh, the Dublin to Cork train to bring down heroin, to bring down crack cocaine and to use it as a drug corridor, uh, the Dublin to Cork and vice versa train. There was another interesting one at the weekend where the four o'clock train out of Euston was stopped at Port Leash due to antisocial behaviour. But it's interesting when you dig into it to find out exactly what the antisocial behaviour was. Uh, apparently it involved, I'm, I'm told, um, anyway, let, let, let's find out, let's find out, it involved a dog. Dermot O'Leary, General Secretary of the NBRU. Dermot, good morning. Good morning, you. And then when we spoke to you about this, it turns out there was another incident as well. But what was the, what was the, what was the, the story with the first one, the train that was stopped because of the dog? 
Well, again, I'm not, look, I've been checking since I spoke to the researcher earlier in relation to that particular incident, and I have, there's no record of it. Well, it has been reported to my office anyway. But certainly, uh, the one that I've contacted over the weekend about uh, the train on Friday evening, um, one of my senior representatives spoke directly to the person that uh, was working that train, and that incident involved the person who came through the the gate in Houston onto the train, apparently with a, a plenty of drink in his plastic bag, wasn't wearing a mask, became abusive to, to the staff member and other customers on the train. Uh, gas rang, which has now become a regular thing, and man was removed in port leash. So that's the, that's the instance that you know that I that I was uh, asked to speak about, and that's the one. Hey, is, there, so if if you're seen getting onto a, the Dublin to Cork train with a bag of drink, you will be stopped, is it? Well, again, look, it's a bit that we're into grey areas here now, but I mean, you know, people, people, I'm sure uh, yourself and myself included, had a, a can or a bottle on the train and uh, didn't create any problems. Yeah, but so. I, if I did, I bought it on the train. Well, again and again, look, I mean, there's, there's there's various rules being, you know, I suppose it depends what's on concerts, matches and stuff like that, and there's rules imposed. But generally speaking, people that travel on trains that have a drink don't cause problems no more than in, in any other, uh, you know, parts of society. But there are uh, lots of people that do board trains with drink and indeed drugs and they are causing problems. And that's why the incidents are going uh, from as low as, as, as low as the rate world as 492 incidents in 2016 to 2,300 in a time in COVID uh, and uh, capacity reduction reigned from, you know, the middle of 2020 up to the middle of 2020. No, but I, I spoke some weeks back with a couple who were on the Dublin to Cork train and they got vicious abuse from a bunch of drunks at a table next to them. Really bad. Yeah, it's, look, it's a, it's, it, is, it is a regular thing. Dean. And I mean, look, I heard it the previous speech I was doing there. And I mean, look, there's a few words that come into mind here. There's no consequences for anybody anymore in society that the, this, low, this low type of crime, as we call it, uh, and it goes on into bigger crime. There's no consequences. There is no sanctions, for example. Mandatory sentences are something that's spoken about year in and year out. Nothing done about it. People don't have respect for authority anymore. The guards uh, included in, 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 in fairness. And we have a situation here where our people now on the trains in particular are asking us, why are we on the trains in the first place? We're not, we're not uh, you know, equipped to deal with this. And it's leading to a situation where our members' own jobs are now at stake because they're saying to me, I don't want to work a train anymore. And that's, uh, you know, that's their job. They provide a customer service. So if they want to work in fair, and again, you and I are long enough to remember the old network catering on the, on, on the railway where people walked in train cars. A lot of those people migrated into the jobs that are being done on trains today, and they used to enjoy going to work. Uh, now they're in fear, as I said. So it's, it's a sad indictment of where we arrived in 2021. That staff are in fear of walking up and down through the carriages. A hundred percent. I mean, some staff, I mean, look, again, people will know the people that travel regular and they know the people to avoid, they know the black spots, they know the hot spots. You know, I can name them, they're Portis, they're Torlis, you know, the Limit Junction, there's people getting on and off. You mentioned about, you know, uh, drug meals and all that. That's, that's serious crime. And in fairness to the Gardaí, they've, they've had a lot of success over the last 12 months. Yeah, because you know, we hear it, of it, them it, arresting people at Kent getting off trains with serious yeah, quantities of drugs. Yeah, but that's, yeah, but it's high level of crime. I mean, what, what concerns us really is the aggressive behaviour. You know, I mean, it, it was reported in the Echo there some just a couple of weeks back about 40 incidents in Cork alone this year on train, uh, sorry, on Cork trains this year, including in the own Kent station. So look, look whether there's a breakdown in society or, what, or whether people are blase, you know, in terms of what the type of crimes are witnessing now. I mean, long ago in our time, you know, if a guard came upon the scene, you were gone if you did wrong or even if you were in proximity, that went wrong. Uh, but these days, people walk up to guards and 
challenge guards. So we have an issue. Now that said, of course, we've been campaigning for a number of years for the dedicated guard of public transport division that we believe that some of the lower level crime uh, would dissipate and reduce if there was a presence. Not every train, I understand, but certainly if there was a, a dedicated guard of public transport division. And again, look, would that involve a guard or more than one guard walking up and down the train? Wouldn't that be a civil liberties uh, issue, though? Well, look, I mean, look, I debate civil liberties with anybody living here, included if I have to. But in, in terms of protecting people that work on trains and people that, you know, travel on trains, that's my priority, I have to say. In terms of the experiences in, in the UK, for example, where there is a dedicated uh, transport police, the type of crime that we talk about here regularly on your show and others, it has reduced. Now, serious crime is serious crime, and that's something, you know, it's above you know, I suppose these type of conversations and again, the guard are trying their best to deal with that. But certainly we wouldn't expect a guard on every train. But if the existence of a guard of transport division would, I believe, you know, especially among the younger people that engage in the antisocial behaviour that we're witnessing, I think it probably would reduce it. And again, uh, a guard knocking at someone's door and saying, yeah, your son is in court tonight, or your son is in court tomorrow, that would be you know, a staffing, a staffing reality to someone I would have thought. Are staff being assaulted and attacked on board trains? Oh, 100%. I mean, look, a year, it's, it's rising year on year from, you know, it's 15, 12, say, like, uh, 13 staff uh, back in, in, in 2019 were assaulted. You know, it, it's increasing year on year. And I suppose, look, uh, from June 2020 to June 2021, I quoted a figure of 2,300 incidents. Of those, 369 were incidents of uh, aggressive behaviour and 70 assaults on staff and customers. Now, as I said already, from June 2020 to June 2021 the capacity was at 25% or a maximum of 50% oh, yeah. the most of that time so that's tell you how frightening those figures are uh, if you had double the capacity you wouldn't have double the instance but they would certainly be higher than 2,300 people look again uh, into what you said earlier in the conversation you were having earlier there is a breakdown in society. There is a breakdown in terms of people's respect for what we used to call law and law and order. You know what I mean? So I look again. There's a cabinet meeting in Cork today. It's it's just been well uh, fanfared. I suspect there won't be mention of any social behaviour. No, no, it won't. But if you, but if you look at the comparison between rail and say, for instance, aeroplanes, you know, every, everybody is checked going on an aeroplane. You go through scanners and things you're bringing on go through scanners as well. It, is that taking it a step too far that people would be scanned and their bags would be checked going through a belt getting on a train? It would take all weapons out of the scenario, it would take all alcohol out of the scenario, drugs would be spotted, because apparently heroin and crack cocaine is coming to cork on the train. Yeah, but you're making life uncomfortable for people that use the trains and people that work on the trains for, for, for but a minute. Maybe, it, maybe it's needed. Habit. Yes, I know that. But it's uncomfortable going through airports doing that. But we do it, you know. Yeah, we do. Yeah, but look at the look at it again. I don't care. I repeat myself. But unless unless the day arrives where we have court sittings into the night for the behaviour that happens in our streets and, and and sanctions for people that engage in antisocial behaviour, again, look, just just kids today throwing stones at the train. They think that's innocent. It's not innocent. It's the beginning of a, of a pattern. And again, the parents of those children probably don't know where they are or what they're doing. Right? There's none of us perfect when it comes to parenting, but certainly in terms of sanctions and respect and the consequences for our actions, that doesn't apply here. So I would have thought that if people were pulled up for their behaviour and there was you know sanctions that would affect them possibly later in life if that was to be the case and explain to them look that might have an effect uh, but certainly something needs to give here the program for government I mentioned the cabinet the program for government has a line in it or a couple of lines in it about ramping up legislation to deal with antisocial behaviour but like most uh, you know program for governments they just have to gather dust on the shelf yeah. we've seen yeah. no moves in that direction it's uh, time to, it's time to get real to get tough you're saying and it's also very sad to hear that staff are afraid to go to work. 
suffering from All stress and anxiety. Yeah, look, there's no well, we, we've had a case quite recently where, where a staff member in Irish Rail, a member of my trade union, National Boston Rail Union, was, was you know, verbally assaulted to the extent that she was in fear of her life, um, a scumbag thrown his face into her face, and she hasn't worked on a train for a number of weeks now, and unlikely to return to trains for that Thank reason. Uh, you know, so thankfully, you know, with cooperation of the company, we're, we're able to facilitate, you know, that staff member, but that's not a way to, you know, to be... Nobody should be going to work like that. Nobody should have put up with that. And you're saying the transport guardie would make all of the difference. All right, listen, just... make a huge difference. Yeah, just before I let you go, I don't know whether you're across this or anything. You just mentioned that the government are in Cork and we're going to get the Cork to Limerick motorway and they're talking about the uh, event centre and we need our rail and things like that. But they are mentioning a new Cork commuter rail network. Buttevant Mallow, Mallow Kent, Kent Cove, Cove Middleton. Is that the right route for a Metrolink? No, it's not. But you see what what that is actually, Neil. Respectfully, that's the existing heavy rail footprint being populated with stations that don't exist. You know, Bullivant Station's gone in a long time. There's no station in Blarney, Monard. There's no station in Kilbarry anymore. So the top will put the stations on what what the footprint that's already there, which is okay. But certainly, in terms of the, the view of the MBIU, my own personal view, in terms of the western suburbs, for example, to Mahan Point, just talking about Lewis, right? And we had a conference a couple of years ago. Forgive the the joke calls from Mahan about to make, but I made a point at that conference. You have a better chance of Elvis playing somewhere at a venue near you soon than seeing a Lewis and Cork anytime soon. And that's the reality of the politicians, you know, that we elect. They make many, many grandiose promises. The way to go, and it's in the form of government, by the way, the way to go in terms of, you know, transport in Cork is bus rapid transit, Lewis on wheels, if you like. And that's in the form of government as well, that they would look at that. So promising people, you know, uh, rail projects, you know, it's grand. It gets you through a couple of election cycles for the politician knocking at doors. But it's an existing rail network link anyway. I mean, it's already it there. Okay, you'd reopen Buttevant. I appreciate that. And you'd re- reopen Blarney. But other than that, there's no change, is there? No, there's not. The existing footprint. That's the point I'm making about the Western suburbs. They're talking so about if you started in Ballincollig, for instance, and worked all the way through the city, and as you say, down through Mahon Point, into Black Rock, over into Rochestown, taking in all of those, down to Passage, Monkstown, Crosshaven, Ring of Skiddy, Carrigaline, No. Would that make sense? BRT, no, but yeah, it would, but, it would, but what's feasible in that regard, Neil, right? And again, I'd love to come on your show someday and have a, a dedicated piece on this, but what's feasible in that regard and what's affordable in that regard and what could be done within one government cycle is bus rapid transit, BRT. It's in many, many cities in Europe. It's in many, many cities in South America. It does exactly what's required. It moves people in, in mass at peak times, both evening and, and morning. And it, it would take the shape of a, of a light rail, albeit on wheels and dedicated railways. And it's something that we've been all over for a number of years. I know the, the mail yesterday was reporting on the Metro in Dublin uh, gone as high uh, as 10 billion. It's lunacy when you have a situation where you have a dart, uh, a spur from the, the, the existing dart line to the airport would take care of the airport. Uh, you know, some problem with, with train movements around time tables I'm sure could be, could be overcome. Are you suggesting a dart on wheels then, is it? It, well, it? Lewis on wheels is the way it's popular. Lewis on wheels. Yeah, it's Lewis, because it would, be coming from, it would be coming from satellite towns, yeah. Yeah. yeah, indeed. Anyone that wants to Google bus rapid transit, they'll see all the, the different cities that exist in it. And those have the capability and the ability to travel or sorry, to carry people on, mass tra- on a mass transit basis. And it's something that's very financially feasible. It's three and a half times less uh, than it costs for a rail. Mind you, they do say that the Lewis is a dodgy thing to travel on with a lot of uh, undesirables and antisocial behaviour. Is that right? Well, it's, like, it's more to do with the people that travel it than the Lewis itself. No, I know. I'm not talking about the actual vehicle, I'm just talking about the people upon it. Yeah, well, again, look, again, that feeds into the, the previous conversation about antisocial yeah. behaviour, it's rampant across the Lewis as well, and certain against certain aspects, not all the Lewis in fairness, 
but there are certain hotspots. But again, look, I suppose we'll see what comes out of the economy today. 165 billion of money that doesn't exist. You know, we're back to the, 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 we're back to where we were many years ago. Politicians will knock at doors next election. I get the rave if you to BlackRock or I get the rave if you to Forbesstone. People may or may not be gullible to that. They'll vote for it for the politician, and in five years' time, oh, we're still working on that. Give us another vote. That's what happens with politicians. That's why red is very popular with politicians. It gets us to at least three election cycles, if not more. Right. Okay, appreciate you taking the call, Dermot. Covered a lot of ground. Dermot O'Leary, General Secretary of the NBRU. Uh, your thoughts on that are welcome, actually. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. On the Bishop Don Hammer attack, what's happening when you can't even walk out after dark or walk home? Where were the guards? Uh, is anyone safe anymore? It's shocking. I hope this boy has a speedy recovery. He'll be afraid to go out again, though. No fear of punishment for anything anymore. If the law did its job, this wouldn't be happening. Judges must stop letting this happen. They walk free time and time again. It's now time to punish them and make them serve time for their actions. Pure disgrace. Do something about it instead of letting them get away with it, says Noreen. Interesting what Dermot O'Leary from the NBRU was saying, that we need night courts. We need courts to be turning these cases over 24-7 and moving faster and more efficiently with processing everyone who engages in criminality. Uh, lines open at one 104 106 You know, I don't know whether how you feel with regards to uh, being on trains. The, the actual incident that I referred to on the train apparently was um, somebody brought a dog on the train by all accounts um, and just more on that. Um, Vernon, good morning. Hello. This is something that Dermot was unaware of. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you then. Okay, you were on the train, were you? No, I was on the platform. On the platform, thanks. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. It was just that um, the train, I was waiting for another train, the one that came on behind it and... Um, and basically, um, it was being held up for 20 minutes, but I was sitting across from the door where they were talking, the guys were talking to these two people, a young couple, very mannerly people. They had a, a lovely dog with them and they had a muzzle on them. Yeah. And it just seemed that, uh, it seemed that one of the ticket inspector dudes or whatever guard on the, on the train didn't want the dog on board and that was it. The thing is, they're allowed to have a dog on board once it's muzzled, but there's some stipulation apparently that you have to have it in the guard's carriage, but not all trains have a guard's carriage. And when it's in the guard's carriage, you have to supply a crate for it to create it. And you're not insured to be in the way, in the car in the car with with them. Oh, you go into the, the you go into the guard's carriage, which is the one that takes all of the you know bigger luggage or parcels yeah. and boxes and chests and stuff like that. Yeah, but you, the thing is, you're supposed to be in there with the animal yourself. But apparently, you don't have an, you're not covered by insurance, so they can't allow you in there. So this is what I've been told. By the, one of the lads on the on the um, platform that day, one of the rail workers. And you know the young couple that you said were they actually yeah. on the train for a few they were, they stops? Is it? I think they came up from Cork, but I'm not certain. And where did where did the train stop? Uh, it stopped in Port Leash. In Port Leash. So it took a while yeah. for somebody to spot the dog. And was the dog muzzled? It was muzzled, yeah, and very quiet. It was a bitch. It was a, a female dog, and they had it under the. Under the tray, under the uh, table, in front of their, by their feet, you know, they weren't in anyone's way or anything. Like so they tra- the, so they stopped the train of going to Dublin at Port Leash. The young couple and the muzzle dog were asked to get off, and they complied. The guards were called. Yeah, the guards were called because at first they didn't want to get off because they felt that they had the right to have the, the dog on the train, which they're right in a sense. Like the um, the um, guards came, it was all very mannerly. There was no shouting and roaring, and you know, they would fight people like, and then. Um, Eventually, they got off the train, and I waited for the next train to come, which, which was my train, and uh, they got on that train as well with me, no problems, no issues. They sat right across from where I was sitting, 
and the dog was very quiet animal altogether. It was just asleep under the chair. Were they upset? Could you hear them? Were they chatting? Um, they were, they were, they were chatting away to themselves. I couldn't really hear what they were saying, but I asked them like, what you know? And they told me the story of what happened. Like, and it is a grey area, and they, they were right to stand their ground, you know. And that's what the way they felt about it, you know. You know, but they still they, they stood their ground to some extent but they got off the train are you saying they, could it have been just down to an overzealous employee or something or well what? that's that's, what, that's the way I interpreted it anyway you know, I mean, you know that's how I felt about it because they got on the next train the guards were there and one of the railway workers came up and said look we're on the next one to go to Dublin and that's the one they were on was an express it was non-stop to Dublin well, why did your man get the on. hump if it says small dogs can be carried free of charge provided they travel on the owner's lap the dog must be well, kept on a lead at all times unless contained in a basket, blah, blah, blah. Uh, um, obviously, guide dogs and assistant dogs are allowed. Um, yeah, yes, they are. Yeah. But uh, if this, was this, this a big a dog? dog it was a fairly big dog, yeah. Then they have to go into the guard's van. Yes, but the problem is there was not all trains carry a guard's van, apparently. And on, on top of that, you have to have a crate with you to put the dog into. So not many people are going to be able to carry a crate <laughs> to the train station, Well, I suppose you know technically, I mean? technically, your man was right. The employee, wasn't he? He's well. Technically, the dog was muzzled, so it's a, an interpretation of the size of the dog. Where's the cutoff point? The dog, you know? a small dog that can sit on your lap, is deemed to be a small dog. You see, what if yeah. if what if you had a big dog, um, say on the dangerous dogs list on a train yeah. in the carriage, yeah. and it attacks passengers or attacks a baby in a buggy? But it can't happen when it's muzzled, you know. But what if you're sitting next to a dangerous dog that's muzzled? You're not going to be very relaxed about that even, are you? Well, personally, it wouldn't bother me. I'm used to dogs. I've had dogs all my life. But um, I understand that point of view. And exactly, there should be a provision made for it. And there should be a guard's van, like they say. You can travel in, but there's very few of them go up and down. On that route. Okay, okay. All right, not listen, every, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you had an opportunity to come on the air because you saw what happened. Appreciate it, Vernon. Yeah. I'm going to move yeah. on if you don't mind. Cheers, pal. Take okay. care, sir. Paul okay. Byrne with Virgin Media News is at UCC. is a cabinet meeting this morning. He joins me very quickly and can't stay long. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Massive security, I'm told. Yeah, there are dozens of guards up here this morning. There's, uh, I suppose, as people say, it's a ring of steel. Uh, you've got the the uh, Ireland's top brass when it comes to politicians arriving. You have uh, Taoiseach Michael Martin. He hasn't arrived here yet. And Minister Michael McGrath, uh, Minister for Public Expenditure, arrived just a few moments ago. Um, the Cabinet meeting is here today. It's been held because of the National Development Plan. Um, billions of euro being invested in our roads around the country. That's what they promise us. And they promise that all of this money and all the funding is in place and all the roads will be built by 2040. Um, we're here at the pod just awaiting the arrival of all of the, the ministers for the cabinet uh, meeting here at UCC today. From here, they then will go to uh, Parque Cueve where they'll uh, actually officially announce the National Development Plan. Uh, as I said, we're on the quad. Uh, the Taoiseach has just uh, pulled up in his uh, state-driven car. Uh, he'll be hoping, we, we're hoping that he'll stop and talk to the media just for a few moments. But uh, the students are kind of cordoned off from what's going on here. There's barriers and uh, there's dozens of guards. I met with one resident on College Road earlier this morning who was uh, fuming that there were so many guards here. They said it's a pity that they couldn't be here on Friday or Saturday night when the students, some of them are she running has, wild. And she has a point, though. She has a point, in fairness to her. You know, I mean, is this normal yeah, I mean, security protocol, I wonder, when the cabinet moves around like that? I suppose it is, is it? 
It is, it is. But I mean, again, it's it's that your listeners are picking up the bill for this this morning, the taxpayer. Um, you know, so but you you that is the, the norm. Everybody, you know, all the the, the, the guards are out. And What's the, the deal and in the coming to Cork? Is this a PR stunt by me Hall trying to get his ratings up or what? Well, of course. I mean, he's the, the leader of the country. If he's going to announce a, a, the national development plan, obviously he's going to do it in his own back garden. And uh, why wouldn't he? But uh, again, it, it does, um, you know, you do ask the question, really, why the amount of guards? I mean, you know, these... And where were they taken from to be there, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they've come from all divisions, I reckon, across the, the city. Whether they're brought in on overtime or not, I don't know. But I know the, the residents in College Road, Glasheen, they're asking questions today. Well, you know, if you can do it here for the Cabinet, can you send them up here on a Friday and Saturday night um, and try and keep the students under control and they're, you know, out drinking and running wild? We saw the scenes again on College Road and Glasheen Road over the weekend. Uh, hundreds of students running around the, the place. And uh, that's what the residents here are asking, you know. Look, all the guards are there. Obviously, they're, they're, they've been drafted into to keep the cabinet members safe from any uh, security risk, but uh, and who are they at a risk from? To be honest with you, unfair. Oh, but this is it. Like this is it. I mean, Jesus, there. It's not the president of the United States or whatever. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go the from there to Parky Cueve, I believe. That's right. They're going down there. There will be another press conference at around half past twelve. They're going to go in here now to um, one of the buildings off the quad in UCC. The cabinet meeting will take place. They'll sign off on the national development plan. They'll then head to Parky Cueve, where they'll hold a press conference at around half past twelve and uh, make the announcement. Um, all of them, of course, uh, looking for that uh, big, big television shot. Uh, I'm the man who's announcing this, but obviously it'll be left to the Taoiseach at the end of the day. Okay, I'd be delighted to come back uh, if perhaps you do get some words from the, the Taoiseach, see if he's got anything to say, but I'll let you get on for now, Paul. Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. Paul Byrne, Virgin Media News, yes. Cabinet of UCC today, and Paul is their massive security. They've got $165 billion to spend. That's on top of, I don't know what the figure is for, um, you know, COVID-related expenses. It's well north of 80 or $90 billion at this stage, probably an awful lot more besides. Don't know who's going to pick up the tab for all this or where they get all of the money. Um, among other things, I think they're going to be discussing this morning, according to uh, the examiner, is the plans to fund, to give €50 million Euro for the long-awaited Cork Event Centre project to get it finished, to get it built and to get it open. And also a huge funding upgrade for the Crawford Art Gallery as well, which runs to many, many millions. Your thoughts on that? Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. Back in a minute. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Uh, text 0868104106 is right. What's happening to our city? People just don't care anymore. I hope that young man will have a speedy recovery. This is the hammer attack in Curraheen. A speedy recovery and gets the justice he deserves. Well, if anybody has any information, share it with the Garda Shikana. Madness. Hopefully the guys will find them and not just give them a slap on the wrist. Wielding a hammer, remember, could have killed that boy. Imagine the trauma he will suffer in recovery. This needs to be considered at sentencing. A man gets his face sliced up on Patrick Street at one o'clock. Then 12 hours later, a hammer attack in Corraheen. What is wrong with people? Friday and Saturday nights around the city, 
just a disgrace. Another one, shocking. Hope he makes a full recovery. And they spend at least 15 years behind bars, says James. What's happening? The world's gone crazy. It's awful. I hope this boy will be okay and they catch who did it, says Joanna. Many people say that. Absolutely horrifying. Hope he's okay. Uh, Cork is as bad as Dublin nowadays. Somehow I doubt it was a random attack, though, says Mark. Um, well, let's be fair now. Let the Gardaí do their job. You know, these lads were just walking, going home or minding their own business. Car pulls up. I don't know if there's a story attached to it. But a hammer attack? Uh, are the Gardaí actually planning on doing something and patrol the streets maybe to avoid these further attacks in the future? Guards can't be everywhere. Guards cannot anticipate a crime. They can react to it. I mean, they can't be in every single street and every single estate and every single road. It's impossible. It's about people. And Ol says, the last few months in Cork are really showing the signs that law and order is breaking down. It's quite obvious due to a lack of guard and numbers. Well, then how can you have 16 to 18 of them up at UCC for politicians this morning? Is it any wonder we're losing the war? Um, why anyone would want to harm a perfectly innocent young man in such a way is beyond me. Whoever is responsible will be caught, I hope, uh, for doing this. And they will spend time in jail for as long a period as possible. Yeah, or we could have the good old Irish faithful suspended sentence. We shall see. Back after 10 on 1850-104-106. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Thanks, Emma. Appreciate that. I was chatting with Margaret and Ita on Friday. Do you remember Margaret had a fall at Smith's Toys uh, out in the Kinsale Road? And um, then, of course, Ita and her husband came to her aid and her two niece or two granddaughters were there and they were supposed to be going and buying some toys. She had a bad fall. She's been in, I think she's in Finbars and has been for like four weeks now. It was a very, very, very bad fall bad injuries so she's recovering we managed to talk to Ida because she was keen to say thank you and then it was trying to somebody left a couple of Smith's Toys vouchers on the windscreen of Margaret's car and I'm happy to say that we have found who that person is it's a maintenance worker by the name of Andrew Murphy Um, so the car park near Smith's he saw what happened Andrew Murphy and he left the vouchers on the car's windscreen chap by the name of Andrew Murphy now he's a shy lad doesn't want to come on air but he did want to mention Bernard Flynn the operations manager in the ambulance service and the paramedics Adrian and Danny who looked after Margaret until the ambulance arrived so well done to Andrew Murphy because he left the vouchers on the car And that's a lovely thing to do. So all credit due to you. And also, of course, to the ambulance service and indeed the paramedics. And then uh, to my my own Instagram page uh, on uh, the weekend, Cork Candyman got in touch with me. And he said, if you were listening to the Neil Prendival show on Red FM during the week, you possibly heard the story of Margaret, a grandmother, uh, who had uh, taken her two grandchildren to Smith's. She had fallen quite badly while getting out of her car. Her two amazing little heroes sought help for her and stayed with her throughout. Margaret's in recovery, thanks to the bravery shown by her grandchildren and indeed Eat and her husband and Andrew Murphy and the ambulance service and the paramedics. But anyway, the point being, he at the weekend, Cork Candyman, arrived with two special packages for Nana's little heroes. Uh, because the Candyman said, we thought they truly deserved a bit of spoiling. 
So they got some wonderful little um, hampers from the Cork Candyman at the weekend, which was a lovely touch. Thank you, Candyman. Appreciate it, because if anyone can, the Candyman can. So actually, can I just mention, and I can I go back to your calls in a few minutes' time. In passing on Friday, I mentioned the 14th annual Blossna Heron Award. You heard Kira Revens refer to it in the news earlier on this morning. This is a blind tasting of produce across the country. Um, so this is the real deal. You know how many awards and things like that can be somewhat suspect in the judging? Not these awards. These are incredibly fair and they really go down to the taste test. So you've got bronze, silver and gold, win- gold winners. And Cork absolutely cleaned up. And on Friday, I mentioned just some of them. And I was thinking about it at the weekend and I was saying, you know what, pal, you should have read them all out because it's unfair to those that actually did win that you precluded I didn't have them all then because the full list was only announced to the weekend. So as soon as I got it at the weekend, I have it here. So I want to say well done to everybody who either got a bronze, silver or a gold on Leaside. A huge range of categories and cork food and drink producers cleaned up. Bandonvale, Blackwater Honey, Bow Rua Farm, Carabeg Free Range Pork, Cape Clear Island Distillery, Clonakilty Food Company, Clonakilty Gluten Free Kitchen, Easy Freezy, uh, Fitzgerald's Butchers, Folon, who make jams and preserves and things like that, Gloon Cross Dairy, Good Fortune Cookies, Hanley's Puddings, Hannah's Market Cafe, Happy Days Artisan Ice Cream, Hassett's Bakery and Confectioners, Hodgson Sausages, Irish Yogurts and Clonakilty, Jude's Chocolates, Kyohan Seafood, Keepak, Kinsale Mead, McCroom Buffalo Cheese, Maggie's Homemade Jam, McCarthy's of Canturk, North Cork Creameries, O'Croulet Fiol Cho, On the Pig's Back, Rebel Chili, Rebel City Distillery, Saturday Pizzas, Shannon Vale, Skehanamore West Cork Farm, think they do duck, Spice of Life, Stonewell Cider, Tom Durkin, Durris Cheese, Velo Coffee Roasters, West Cork Distillery and White Rabbit Barbecue. That's the full list in Cork. We should be so proud of them and they should be proud of themselves. Well done. You're flying the rebel flag. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. Back to the phone lines. We go and have a lot of texts and emails as well. Terry, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for your text and for agreeing to come on air. Tell me about your friend's son. Um, he was in town with his friends uh, a few weeks ago and they were going to the gate cinema, but the gate wouldn't let him in because they said they had no COVID passes. Yeah. You know, they're only yeah. 15 and 16. Yeah, yeah. So walked up the road, they're on Washington Street. Middle of the so, day, the evening, what, what time? Um, kind of 6, 7-ish. Okay, okay. Um, they were following him, asking him questions, just following them along. And oh, wait a second now. All I, all I got there was they didn't get in because they didn't have a COVID cert and then so they yeah. were on Washington Street. What happened? Yeah, they walked up from North Main Street up. They were going towards to get to bus, bus um, home and these boys started following them, asked some questions like, who are you? What's your name? Where are you going? And some of the boys ran away and so three boys were left there and the three boys got attacked but it was my friend's son got the worst of it. As you've probably seen with the pictures. Oh, I've seen what happened to his lip. What is that? Um, the boys had a load of rings on their fingers, so when they hit him on the face, it bust open his lip. God on my, it looks like a blade. It looks like a blade to me. Yeah, no, it was a load of rings on the fist of the boy who did it. Um, it wasn't a blade at all. My God, it looks like as if the whole left-hand side of his lip is split by 
It's almost an inch in width. It looks like a... He had to have surgery and get pieces taken away and pulled down to put the lip back together. Now, will that repair itself without a scar, do you think? Um, The scar, the stitches, now you can see on the outside of it, but it looks like it will be on the inside more. But will it leave permanent permanent damage, do you think? Well, they don't know, the dentist doesn't know if his teeth are going to be saved or not. He needs a few root canals because the teeth are all damaged and there's a bone and a jaw broken as well. Oh, for God's sake, Terry. Clearly there was plastic surgery involved in his mouth. Yeah. His teeth are ruined. Yeah. Um, and this is three weeks ago and he's on a, he's, he's still not eating solids? Yeah, he has Because his jaw is fractured? Because of the jaw and the teeth to try to save the teeth. Because they can't do anything until the mouth heals. Okay. So somebody punched him in the face? Yeah, not right. the mouth. Down he went, unconscious? Yeah, he was shifted to hospital. Ambulance is called by his buddies? I, we don't know who called the ambulance. And these characters just ran away, I guess. Yeah. So, your friend must, that, that family must be absolutely horrified. What happened to him? Yeah, they like, the guards are trying to dissuade them from going ahead with it because they think there'll be repercussions from the people who did it. You're joking me. Yeah. You're joking me. Somebody, somebody, no, not at all. some guard said, don't proceed with this case. A detective, not a guard, a detective. All right, okay. On the basis that... There could be, fair, the, the people could have repercussions for the boy that was attacked. Are you serious? Yeah. Like, as in when the reper... Reper... With his friends last night and the boys were there, so he had to leave. Oh, he, he saw the same of... characters at Funderland? Yeah, and he left because he was afraid of what would happen. He recognised them? Yeah. But isn't that the reason why they should be taken out of circulation? Oh, absolutely. But it's like the man earlier said, if lesser things were stopped, these things wouldn't be happening. They're allowed to get away with it and it's just getting worse and worse. Um, how old are these people, that are these characters that attacked the lad? Um, apparently about 15, 16. What did they want? God only knows. He's looking for his money, were they looking for his phone, his hat, his, what, like... I don't know, because when they knocked him out, they could have taken them, and they didn't, so... Just bang, down. A lot of rings on his hand, apparently, yeah? Yeah, that's what did the damage to the mouth. Do the guards know who they are? Yeah. How do you know that? Um, Because the family know who they are, and the guards know who they are, and they know who they are because, and that's why they don't... They've recommended not going ahead with us. So the guards have said, we know who attacked you, we know who attacked your son, um, but we would advise you not to proceed with this because there will be repercussions. They will, uh, my words, not theirs, they will attack you again. Yeah, the, the, my friend has to get cameras on the house now and everything to be to have something there to hopefully deter or if they do something to have a cut on camera. Yeah, but what what difference would that make if the guards will say, you know, even with footage, don't she proceed with She's a bit safer getting them in. And how, he's only like 15, is he? Uh, the boy is 16. He's only 16. 
So, and he goes to Funderland then, first time out in three weeks, and he sees these characters again and has to run home again. Yeah, he came home because he, he was afraid, like, like anyone would be if someone did that damage to you. Why would the guards say that? I, like, from the get-go, she was passed from guard to detective to guard and was trying to find a name of someone just to deal with. So it was like they didn't even want to deal with us. But can a parent of a minor insist, though, that the Garda Shikana investigate? She has. She pursued it. I, if she hadn't pursued it, we think, no, we don't know, but we think if she hadn't pursued it, that they wouldn't have come looking for statements or anything. And they have done that now because she's she's insistent. Yeah, she's pursued it because, like, he's 16 now, so all the dental work is going to be out of her pocket and... The Gardaí were reluctant to go ahead um, because of repercussions from the attacker. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, okay, that's, that's something we need to stop. There should be no reason yeah. why, regardless of what section of the community the attackers are from, that should preclude the Gardaí from prosecuting. Yep. So she's got it. What? That's why they get worse, because they're allowed to get away with things they don't well, think. Well, you know, then that means they've got these, this character, this bunch, this family. They've got a free pass from the guards. They have, yeah. a free, they have a free pass to do whatever they like. Yep. Yeah. That young fella, he's, um, he's socially, like, he's going to be very limited going forward. He's going to be very much afraid to go out, intimidated to go out, you know. Yeah, and it's scary because, like, even they were in a group and some of the boys ran away. Like, the, the attackers weren't afraid that there was more numbers of boys there of them than there was of them, like. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Ah, well, that's that's because they come upon them menacingly and they're coming at them, you know, angry and threatening and intimidating, you know. So they, they, have, yeah. the, they have the upper hand. They're the ones that are looking for the trouble, you know, these other... Your 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 friend's son. He's just a lovely young fella. He he would have got a fright and a shock, and probably would have froze. Yeah, you know, you know something. He's very. He could be very innocent, and he wouldn't have known. Like he would have just kept walking and thought he'd have been fine. You know, because he's athletic, he'd have been able to outrun them. That that means really that that nobody's son or daughter, for that matter, nobody's fifteen or sixteen year old is actually safe. That's it. Like I have a twelve-year-old boy, and that's what why I'm so angry about it. Because I feel like my son is going up in it now as well, and I can't leave him outside the door. Now, even when he is going out with his friends, I'm a bag of nerves. I'm tracking, and I'm Snapchat because you you can trust your own child. You can't trust everyone else's child sometimes. Oh, absolutely. It's not it's not your child that you have a worry about. It's what will happen to your child. That's what you have to worry yeah. about. Particularly if the guards are given a free pass to people who um. Uh, are going about, um, you know, just sucker punching people or... Like, I've seen the photograph of his lip. I mean, I, I don't know... Obviously, you clearly can't see a fractured jaw, but you're telling me the jaw's broken and you're telling me all his teeth are destroyed and the family will have to pay for all of that. Well, the day surgery is fine. It's the teeth uh, she lost. When they can't look at the teeth properly, they've x-rayed it and it's actually the dentist who noticed the broken jaw in the x-ray of... I no, I see. I have a photograph. Thank you for the photograph of his lips, his swollen lips. So is he out of school now, or is he back in school, he, or is he? Uh, he was out of school, but he was going a bit demented at home, so he went back. <sighs> Imagine.
imagine. All I can imagine is if it was my son or you know anybody listening to me right now is thinking the very same thing. And the, what were the exact words? I know it's secondhand that the detective said. Um, they when they were interviewing, they were asked, they and this was asking him actually a sixteen year old, like with the mum there. Are you sure you want to do this because there could be repercussions? Are you sure you want to do this because there could be repercussions? It's slightly different to say, don't go ahead with this, isn't it? That was earlier on, like a a guard at a desk. Did the guard say, did did the guard say, we know who attacked you? Uh, She, uh, the mother had brought, um, uh, came and said, this is who it was. We found out, they found out themselves who did it. Yeah. And so when they brought it to the guards. The guards advise not to proceed. Yeah, and avoided kind of the statement took about they took about two nearly three weeks to do the statement because she was chasing it up. Do you think that they're reluctantly now investigating it? Possibly. Um the boy they said at first I think it was all they could do was caution him. But another guard had said it was like a grade three or a grade C assault, so it is punishable by sentencing there's been so many guards involved that there's little bits come from every uh, few different guards. You see, I don't know why they would say things like that. I just don't know. You know, they should investigate everybody and everything like that and prosecute everybody who does things like that. Shouldn't they really? Take them yeah, out of circle? I mean, how old was the attacker, any idea? Um, I think he was 15. <laughs> Can you imagine when he's 25? Yeah. Kind of a character he will be, or what he'd be carrying around. He'd move from rings to knives, or God only knows what else. Yeah. Okay, listen, um, I appreciate you sharing the story. Depressing and there's all to hear, particularly when they're known to Gardy or he's known to the guards. Thank you, Terry, and uh, pass on our thoughts to the family, will you? Brilliant. Thanks, a million. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Lines open at 1850 104 106. You can text 086 8104 106. Depressing and all as that is. You know, I was making the point earlier on there about um, um, the train being used to ferry drugs up and down, whether it's heroin or cannabis or tablets or crack cocaine or spice, whatever the case may be. I was wondering whether or not, you know, there should be some sort of a scanning. Uh, I know that it would cause grief for people, passengers getting on and off trains or people arriving late for trains and what have you, but it certainly would stop machetes being. Um, towed it up and down on the train, wouldn't it? It might even stop guns being brought up and down on the train. Never mind all of the drugs. It would stop knives. It would stop Stanley blades. It would stop alcohol. Your thoughts on that? Text 0868 Um I'm going to take an ad break. Is that okay? Okay, I won't. I'll, I'll stay for another few minutes because I don't want to be keeping people too long and Seamus is standing by Valentina as well. But Michael, good morning. Good morning. Now, you probably saw the uh, headline, I think it was in either the Mail or the Independent on Saturday, War on Cars, did you? I didn't actually, know. Yeah, it means that the budget's going to come down very hard on people who drive petrol or diesel cars. Very, very hard. Um, anyway, yeah, you, you also may find that your road tax will go up considerably because you drive a, pe- a petrol or a diesel car. Anyway, go ahead, your thoughts. And uh, and diesel as well? No, I mean you wanted to pick up on. Uh, firstly, you were travelling to Limerick on Saturday morning uh, for yes, I, think sorry, it was, I, was I think it was a rugby down, match, was it? Yes, I was driving down to the Munster game, and um, just a few minutes from Donrail, just hit a pothole. Um, like I saw it just too late, I suppose. I swerved and I still caught it, and I knew instantly, like the bang off the car, and that I that the tire was probably gone. Did you lose control? 
Almost, yeah. I just happened to, I don't know, I just was just probably luck. You know, I managed to keep it between the ditch, between the ditch and the road, like, you know, and I stopped only a few seconds later on the side of the road. It's just, it's just, you know, inches from the ditch and um, got out straight away and looked at my tire and it was, was flat straight away. Um, so I, I could hardly get coverage there as well where it was. It was a bad, a bad area, like, you know, there seemed to be no phone coverage there. And I was out trying to make calls, nothing was happening, and just by pure luck, um, a tyre, a local tyre van was passing. <laughs> Talk about and luck is right. Yeah, I flagged him down, and in fairness, he stopped and asked me what was wrong, and I told him he came out to have a look. And, you know, like, he sorted me out eventually, he told me he had to go back to his, you know, wherever his garage was in Belly Hay, and bring up a tyre changer for me, and it was basically, he was inside in the ditch trying to change it, because, you know, just where it happened was a bad spot. Um, it's huge, yeah. man. I've seen it. I've seen it's, it's enormous. Huge. I mean, that's got to be yeah. that's got to be easily a three foot pothole. Yeah, and like it was wet conditions as well, and you know that's probably why I didn't see it in time. Like, I mean, it was just there was water all over the road anyway. But you were lucky that you didn't lose control, yeah. Yeah, very lucky. I mean, it just happened so fast as well, and like I don't know how I did manage to keep control, but luckily I did, and luckily enough that man came along and was able to sort me out. But I came back on Sunday then, you know, I was returning back as I stayed in Limerick for the night and on Sunday the pothole was still there with that canister with a high vis on it. Unbelievable. Listen, can you hold on a few minutes' time? I'll come back to you in a few minutes on this. God knows why you pay road tax when you see things like... Lucky you didn't lose control of the car because you'd be, be talking to a family member of yours instead talking about your death on that road. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Can I just stay with issues that we spoke about earlier on this morning? and the different uh, incidences, not just in Cork City, but also the incident out in Curraheen, the hammer attack. Louise, good morning. Hi, hi Neil, how are you? Good, thank you. Now, um, thank you for coming on air. Tell me as much as you're comfortable to tell. Um, sorry, no, I'm a bit nervous. Actually, don't worry um, about it, just chat away um, with me. Look, I'm a close family member, um, and the two boys, they were they were on their way home on uh, Saturday night. Saturday night. Um they were walking past the petrol station on the Corraheen Road. Live, live very close to the petrol station. Yeah. And um a car pulled up and apparently they kind of pulled masks up over their over their face and jumped out and just started attacking, to be honest. Um one then pulled out a hammer, um, struck uh, the family member on the head, um, and then continuous struck and then after that as well. Um, at that time then so it wasn't just uh, one um, smack of a hammer no it was um, repeated oh repeatedly to the head and face with the hammer exactly yeah Um, at that time there one of the attackers had screamed that's not them that's not them that's not him so we feel it could be a mistaken identity yeah, but he didn't start shouting, that's not them, that's not him, until after he'd until been beaten after, severely around the head and face. He was unconscious on the floor. Now, that's from a witness. So, um, like, I wasn't there myself, but that's uh, what a witness had said at the time. Random attack, um, case of mistaken identity. So after they shouted that, or this character shouted that, and your close family member went down, severely injured from the head and face injuries did they just get back in the car for more we have more I know yeah and drove off 
Yeah. What happened next? Um, so uh, the paramedics were called. Um, the um, the police were there. Um, so it's just you know, kind of you, it all goes from there. Then you know, like he he was brought to CUH um, for um, CT scans on the brain to see if there's bleeding on his brain. Um, he has serious. He, he's unrecognisable. To be honest, you he there isn't a tooth. In his head that's not broken. Um, he needs severe dental dental work done um, to get back anything that he, he had. You know, um, all his teeth are smashed. So all his teeth are gone. Yeah. Did you say that he's unrecognisable? Yes. Because of swelling and injury. He, he he yeah. When you you it wasn't complete hit to the head with the hammer. You know. It's it's all it's you know it's it's kind of an ongoing investigation. So you're kind of you know it's just very hard to talk about. To I, know, but there, to talk about. I know, and I appreciate you coming on air, Louise. I really do, and I don't mean to overly upset you. My apologies if I do. But there was CCTV captured at all, right? Hopefully, yes. Yeah, from what we know, there is there is CCTV and captured. witnesses who saw it. Yes. Possibly a car reg, maybe, if we're lucky. I'm not too sure. Yeah. I'm not too sure about any and of that. The, and the CT scan on the brain, has that come back? Do you know if there's a... No? That, has, that has. He actually got four of them. He got four um, CT scans. He got um, facial x-rays to see if there's bones broken in his face. Um, he has um, big um, gash across his forehead. So he has stitches right across his forehead where he'll be scarred for life. Um, he has complete tooth swelling. You can't let his two cheekbones are completely swollen. Um, all his teeth are broken. He's missing two to three teeth on one side. Um, his teeth have moved. And this is a young fella that wore years wearing braces to get the teeth he wanted. The teeth he wanted. To have some his thug of an attacker to beat them out of his head. Yeah, he just, like, he, he doesn't, he said... He, I obviously can't remember anything after after it happened. He was unconscious, so um, yeah. And he, he's such a quiet young fellow. He's family. a quiet he lad. Yeah, he doesn't go he out doesn't now. Go out. Him and his girlfriend, they stay at home. They get takeaways. They watch Netflix. They play. They play PlayStation. You know, it's it's. I. It's going to take a long time for him to get back in his feet after this. I think I really do think he's conscious in CUH. He is conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So and um, so he he actually came home late last night. So he has been discharged, but he's, you know, it's going to be a long road, that. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it will. And you know, um, I suppose he's he's a young fella. He's kind of very worried about his teeth. So I think we're we're all going to try and help him out to get him to get it sorted. So that's what we keep reassuring him. Yeah, yeah. I suppose there's nothing nice than a, a nice smile, but. Listen, every, every, everything can be done nowadays, as you well know. It, it doesn't come cheap, as the fella says, but I know, you, I know, know. You, can, you can assure him that all will be well in time. I mean, I think psychologically, poor misfortune must be in bits, you know. Yeah, but to, to be honest, Neil, we're counting our lucky stars because it could be a funeral that we could be planning. Cause a severe beating around the head and face? Absolutely. Or he could yeah. be brain damaged for life. But, um, yeah, it's just, yeah. Cork you must have got gone. an... What? I just feel the cork has just gone so dangerous. Just, you just, 
you can't leave the house after dark. Like, you wouldn't go through town. Like, you can't even walk down the street now at this stage. That's horrifying. I mean, you must have been absolutely horrified when you got the news. Was Do guards call to the house, tell you go to the hospital or something, was it? Um, no, it was um, a phone call. I Yeah, I actually had to break the news. I got, I got the phone call, so... Do you, have to tell your, um, do you have to tell the rest of the family then? Yeah, I, I was the late night caller. <laughs> My God almighty. No, and it was like they didn't have far to go, so um, that was good. It was a joke. We didn't have far to go. They were there. They were on the scene within two to three minutes. So it just wasn't very nice to see. Because um, because I, I was I what I had heard was that okay. I know I know it was a, a, a shocking event, but that they were worried about a bleed, a, a suspected bleed on the brain. Yeah, like the time when the paramedics called, they you know, restrained him. They like as in restrained, put the neck brace on, like held his head in position so he didn't move. Um, he was kind of going in and out of consciousness. Um, so he was unconscious until they had come, and then he kind of came around a little bit. Um, but he he couldn't see. There was blood in his eyes. His blood was coming out of his ears down his nose. Like it was just a very very scary scene. And and he's an eighteen year old dad. Just turned eighteen. Just yeah. turned eighteen. Okay, okay. It's going to be a long road for him. And um, they shouted, it's not him, it's not him. Case of mistaken identity. After they had done what they did, yes. they jumped back into the car and drove off. Yes. Okay. Guardi are investigating this clearly. Clearly, yeah. 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 There yeah. will be um, investigation going forward. Okay. If you, pl- if you plan to do anything at all with regards to, um, you know, uh, the work on this lad's teeth, you know, do let us know if we can be part of that. See if we can help to get it sorted. If, if oh, there's anything exactly. we can do, I, just I do think there is um, a GoFundMe page going to be set up. That kind um, of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it, it is there. There is not one tooth that's not broken. So, um, you know, just to get a smile back, you know, yeah. everyone feels confident. With well, let, let's let's get all of the injuries corrected, the swelling down, uh, exactly. any fractures or breakages, bones or anything like that. Um, yeah, he's a broken nose. Um, no fractures to the face, but uh, again, he's a scar, a large scar across his forehead for the rest of his life. Also, um, yeah, he's just complete swelling now. With everything all black and blue, and his he's so puffy looking. Um, yeah, I know. He's in. I yeah, know. It's, it's a tough time from physically and, and, and emotionally. Yeah, and it's it's only kind of starting to hit, hit the family today, and you know, this morning because I suppose yesterday we were all in so much shock. Um, I understand all of that, but you were right there a second ago when you said it could have been an awful lot worse. That doesn't take from it in any way, shape, or form. But he's alive. He's alive. Yeah. You know, hammer yeah. attack to the face and head. There's a good chance he wouldn't be. And and you know, it, it is it is very hard to kind of come across when when you hear it was for no reason. This genuinely was for no reason, and there is witnesses that have seen it. He didn't know his attackers. He has never seen them before. There was witnesses standing in the petrol station that seen it all unfold. Um, a hammer. Yeah. A hammer. A hammer. Even if, yeah. even if it wasn't a mistaken identity, a hammer attack to the head. On exactly. what basis would anybody do that? Yeah, exactly. Never mind to a quiet young fella who was the wrong person, just even doing it at all. And there, yeah, yeah. 
Listen, I really mean it. If if there's anything we can do in any way, shape, or form, I'd be very to happy liaise with you and get the teeth sorted and uh, you know push the GoFundMe. Do whatever is needed is what I'm saying to you, Louise. We're happy to to be part okay. of it. Okay. Thank you very much, Neil. Please, I really appreciate that. Please pass that on. Don't be a stranger. Come back to me. Okay. Thank you, Neil. All the best. Okay, bye. Please. Bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And you can pick up the phone on 1850 104 106. Thank you, Louise. It's uh, just a devastating place that family find themselves in the moment at the moment. And if there's anything we can do, whether it's the GoFundMe or anything else connected with his recovery or the dental work that he's doing, we're happy to be part of it as always. Um, a case of mistaken identity. It's not them, it's not him. But of course, that was after the savage attack with a hammer to the face and around the head. And God knows we really could be talking about a tragedy. We've had them. We've had them. We know of stabbings in the city. We all know what happened on the south side up around uh, uh, the Barrack Street area where, again, somebody lost their lives. Very innocent lad, minding his own business, dead. And that could have been the case this Monday morning, I can tell you. Lines open. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on one 106 Somebody did say that the uh, attack, the th- triple slashing attack on Paul Street uh, resulted in um, people being taken to uh, the mercy because I saw something come in this morning saying that it was probably uh, drug-related, um, something connected to a Russian drug gang. Uh, you wonder whether these kind of attacks are like suggesting that maybe a case of mistaken identity could have been somebody who had a drug debt or something that wasn't paid or somebody that was involved in that kind of thing. And they, you know, trying to get money and can't get the money and they pull up in a car and beat a guy around the head. Of course, in this case, it's a case of mistaken identity and it's an innocent, quiet, private 18-year-old young fellow who rarely goes out. Um, thank you for shining a light on the drugs trade in Cork City recently. It truly has gotten out of hand. As in the Wellington Road area on Saturday afternoon, 3pm, when two guys came down the steps near Charlemont Terrace. They both stopped about 100 metres from me. One of them took a bag of tablets and put it into his sock. It was obvious what he was doing. Several others in the area witnessed it also. Why is there nothing being done? Because there's nothing you can do in a case like that where it's happening in an area like that. Again, you can't have guards on every single road or every single corner. They can't witness everything. It's bigger than that. Um, you know, if it were seen by a member of the Guard of Chicana, I'm quite sure it would have been very, very different. I get in grief this morning, actually. A text came in there from a serving guard, you know, saying typical of Prendival having a go at the guard. That isn't the case here. I go out of my way as often as I can to defend uh, Gardy. I don't for a moment believe that it's actually down to the actual Gardy Shakona who are working themselves. I think it's bigger than that. I think it's about amounts of Gardy. I think it's about allocation of resources, allocation of guards. I don't think it's anything to do with the individual guards. I'm very disturbed that somebody would have been told by a guard, you know, that that, um, that attack on Washington Street of the young lad um, who got just sucker punched with a fistful of, of rings, smashed up his face, broke his jaw. I'm very disturbed if a, if a detective or a guard said to the family, words to the effect of, don't pursue this because they're dangerous and they'll come after you again. That that bothers me, though. That, that really does. Anyway, lines open at one 106 Richard, good morning. Yes, good morning. How are you going? Neil? I'm well, thank you. You want to go back to uh, issues on the train? Go ahead. 
Yeah, I will. But reference to the last match you just discussed, you would be surprised how prevalent it actually is. Okay? What? Prevalent what is? Of attacks by groups and you'll be told, uh, push it further and you will be in serious trouble. That is a fact. It's very more prevalent than you think. But that's not why I'm ringing. But, but just, right? okay, but now that you brought it, how do you know that? Listen, it's common knowledge. Every dog on the street knows that depending who these people are, if they attack you, you go further with it, you get serious uh, interference either on your property or yourself. So the, are the, are you the guards... Advised, you, will, you will be advised that it, should you pursue this uh, incident, that it could be detrimental to you down the road. And are, you, are guards... That, so to exp, explain it to me, because I need to know. Are guards doing people a favour then by... Uh, are they doing them a service by warning them that if you do this, it will just get worse, is it? Yes, they have to advise you that because it's, it's, all, very, it's all well and good getting certain people brought up to court for an attack or a robbery or whatever... Uh, that the effects afterwards could be far worse than the actual punishment of the crime, which means that they can do what they like. But the ones that did the crime can't do what they like because we, that we ideally want them to be serving time. Not going to happen. They're in groups and certain groups and certain places that uh, even the gas corporation, nobody can deal with them, nobody wants to deal with them. And who are these groups, do you know? I'm not going to say because I could be accused of pointing out individuals person so I'm not going to say it yeah okay okay because okay. W- without proof you won't go into particular I exactly okay. I can't I can't down, okay. down the street no but I'm not going to say it okay thank you for that no. okay okay no I tell you in relation to the other matter I am tired of the of the likes of CIE bus and trains and the whole lot continually saying that they that they need cars on the trains blah 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 they provide a service and nowadays it's an expensive service bus and rail. They provide the service. If they can't provide the service which is safe for the public to use, then they're failing on the service they provide. There was always uh, inspectors and there was always personnel who would walk up and down the trains up to about 10 years ago. 10 yeah, they're, years not, ago. They're, they're not security staff. They're Irish rail uh, Yeah, but you had somebody going up and down. No, you don't have anybody. Listen, if they have trouble on their buses and trains... They should be providing and providing security on their own um, um, properties because they you pay for a service. I mean, if you were told that every time you got into it, we'll say, I, I don't mean this to be insulting, but if someone said to you, it's highly dangerous to get into a taxi because something could happen to you. Well, you don't get into a taxi. Do you get my drift? Yeah. But yeah. it's not going to happen to you. But if you're being told that it's too dangerous to get on a train to go anywhere or a bus to go anywhere because you might be attacked, you're not going to get on it. Now, it makes no sense to me that there's no security. If CIE have a problem with their product, fix it. They're the provider. But maybe it's a bigger problem than security staff. Maybe it's a guard a problem. Maybe it's actually no, it is it's, a guard, it's a guard uniforms they no, want to see. No, no, it's not a guard a problem. I'll tell you what the solution is, the 100% solution. I've asked over 10, 20 years ago to TDs and councillors to ask me why we have not got what the Brits, the Germans, the Americans, the Spanish, and they use an example of the Spanish, they have a Garda Civil. They have limited uh, police powers, but they're employed for the purpose of antisocial behaviour, trains, buses, etc., etc., etc. You get up to any development in Spain, 
and the Garda Seville will be on you within minutes. Yeah. But they're not pure 100% guards. They're civilian police. That's what it means in English. And I asked, why have we not got a reserve Garda force here? I've never, ever got an answer on it and as to who is blocking that because someone is blocking it. Because it's the, com- it's the obvious thing to do. You have thousands of retired army, thousands of retired Garda who could take on a role if it was, po- it was advertised uh, part-time as, as civilian police. But do, Okay, uh, so you're yes. moving to civilian police now. A while ago you were saying that Irish Rail should pony up for their own security. Which is it? Obviously, it's the sport. I mean, if you provide a product, you want to make sure the product is safe. If the product isn't safe, you provide something that will make it safe. And in the absence of all that, if they're not going to do it, then we should be thinking in the same lines as as, as civilian police force. But so sure, like maybe there. they they may not take any notice of a security guard on a train. They could well take more notice of a guarder in uniform on the train with maybe a baton or a mace. Yeah, but a civilian police will be dressed the same as a guard, but we're not without but not the full uh, legal arrest type situation. They're there for minor social antisocial behaviours, that kind of stuff. Okay. Everybody, uh, you, every other country in Europe has it. Why haven't we? Uh, now, there is this possibility, and I'm only saying maybe I'm totally 100% wrong, but if you have a group of people in any public service and they have a lack of people, their overtime bill is going to be pretty high, correct? Yeah. If you bring in other people to take up the slack, then your overtime bill will go down. Mm, mm. Uh, do, you travel on, do you travel on the train? Not anymore. Why? I won't do it because if I'm going somewhere with my wife and something was to happen, it will ruin the day completely. So I won't risk it anymore. I'll okay. drive. Okay. Okay. Especially That's if you think about the petrol, it's cheaper to drive than get a train anywhere. Yeah, it's sad that you won't use it because you don't feel safe on it, you know. It no, really I don't is. even use the buses anymore. I'll walk or I'll drive into town and pay the four euro car park fee rather than run the risk. I mean, if you get a bus into town now from anywhere, it's 240 and the 240 back. You think that's too much? Yes, I do. If you want public to use public transport, then it has to be within but it would, the means But it, cost, it would cost you 240 to park the car in a multi-storey for an hour. It, all public transport should be subsidised the same as it is everywhere else in Europe. And it is, it's all a money, money, money. All right, pal. Thanks for that. As always, cheers, Richard. Lines open at 1850-104-106. Can't come on air, but I'm a driver for Bus Aaron. We have told management and Bus Aaron for years about what's happening on buses, like drugs being found on the buses, syringes, people taking drugs on the bus, people passed out on buses after taking drugs, etc. Management don't care. All they want is to keep the buses going. That's actually a text that makes sense when Richard talks there, but it also has to do with last Friday where a fella... Uh, got on the bus and sat down on one of the chairs. It was a, an area allocated. It was a, a parent and buggy spot. He sat down there, took a needle out and tried to shoot up on the bus um, right next to and at the same level, kind of like ground level, to a little child in a buggy right next to him. Um, I work in retail in the city and a guy called in yesterday. This would have been on Thursday. He was home from Canada for the first time after three years. And he said to me, Jesus, he said, Cork's got very dirty and dodgy. And it pained me to agree with him. Something needs to be done. It's interesting to see it through the eyes of somebody who's been away for a while. He'd been away for three years, came back and saw a huge change in that three-year period. Lines open at one 106 Text 0868-104-106. Don't know how much time I'll be able to give Sally Hanlon. I'm always keen to talk to her. She heard Louise chatting on the air with me about a family member who was beaten with a hammer around the face and the head. You know... 
um, of the injuries that he sustained because Louise told us. Sally, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How is he going to feel that you're, of course, Sally Hannan with the support after crime service. How is he going to feel after that attack, typically? Oh, sure, he's going to be terrified, isn't he? And he's going to be afraid to go out and feel very unsafe. Um, went to uh, Fonderland for the first yeah, time. He went out for a yeah. with, first time in three weeks. And the same bunch were there again and he ran home. Of course, yeah. And again, like, I don't know what's happening, but I feel very amazed that if the guards were not investigating such an assault... Um, Here's the deal here, I, as much as I can say, because I need I to know. be fair and... and uh, oh, yeah, uh, to, but I, to, I would imagine such an assault would be not a caution, it would be a charge. Um, I, she did mention a Section 3 assault, which is a serious assault, and that would be dealt with through the courts. Uh, but what I want... A certain to section of society we're talking about um, where the Gardaí believe that the retaliation would be worse than the original attack. And on that basis, the guards tell people, we don't advise you proceed with this. Have you ever heard of that? No. In your time no. as a guard, would that have been tolerated? You know, don't proceed with this. Um, don't take a case. It'll be worse for you in the end. No. I have never heard that in here or witnessed it back then. Um, Because if somebody is a a victim of crime and badly injured, of course they want it to be reported and they want it to be taken seriously. But are the guards not obliged to tell people the consequences of proceeding with the case? Well, I suppose you can say the consequences. You can be asked, are you sure? you want to proceed with this and go into court give them the process that you'll have to go into court and give evidence and so on and so forth and meet those people in the court you know that would be a practical way of telling them where it would be from then on um, you will see your attacker in court probably yes. see many family members and all sorts yes. of things they will see you you will see them and we can't protect you afterwards no well, well you're identifying yourself to to the attacker and you're you're identifying well they're going to be identified to you as well if they're not already known to you but I suppose the point what I was ringing is for the families Neil there uh, of those youngsters or indeed them themselves but regardless of whether they're going ahead or not with reporting our service is available to them because to talk about their fears and the after effects of the crime, they're more, we're more than willing to see them and give them some assistance. The after effects of the crime will be devastating psychologically to him and also the entire oh, family. Will, yes. And also yes. financially crippling because they have to pick up the bills. They have to pick up the bills. Now, the Criminal Injuries Compensation Tribunal will... Uh, eventually, or may eventually, pay for the damage to the teeth. Uh, but they, they, the family themselves must pay first. Do they get it all back? Um, they, we've seen cases where it has happened, okay. yeah. Okay. So that it's lad a long will, process now, you're talking about two or three years. That lad will need a lot of counselling, won't he, and help in he'll the, need a lot in the of, future? He'll need a lot of confidence building. And again, for him to know he did nothing wrong, 
he was with his friends, you know, and those people can't be pointing a finger at him and saying, ah, there must have been something going on there, there's old history there or something like and that. And that's exactly how some people react. And of course, oh, we know, we know react, that yeah. that's unwarranted because yeah. the attackers even shout, shoot, shouted, it's not them, it's not him, You're wrong guy. I know, yeah. So you see, again, to to be cleared of wrongdoing is very important for anybody, young or old, male or female, as a victim of crime. You would hear people say, I'm ashamed to be associated with crime. That's as a victim. Is it getting worse? It is. Yeah. Why? I, it's drugs, I think, and it's lawlessness. But an attack like that could well be uh, an unpaid drug debt or something, uh, and they were looking for the guy to take out their revenge upon him for it. Something like that. It could, but it could also be mistaken identity. No, no, and no, this, was, no this was mistaken identity, but the yeah. guy that they were actually looking for, that's the, one of the reasons why they were looking for this guy, perhaps. All right, okay. But I mean, the simple thing now is approaching somebody in the street, asking them for a cigarette. Right, if they have a cigarette and and give them one, they're still going to get a, a few slaps. If to the thing they haven't a cigarette, they'll get worse. So I mean, it's it's just apply few bob for the hostel, few bob for the bus. It's it, it's crazy, and people don't know what to do, whether to engage with them or not engage with them. And, and we're hearing it. We're hearing people saying. You know, I heard you saying about that man returned from Canada. People are afraid going into town. Day and night. Mm. Mm. Did you say that it's a nightmare day and night? I don't like going over there anymore. I mean, you know, we're here right beside the courthouse and they're going around dozed off of their heads going in and out of the court. (laughs) Depressing. Depressing. Oh, it's, 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 it's actually unbelievable. Okay. You know? Okay. You're there for uh, that young lad and his family, should and they wish family, to avail themselves. Or anybody else okay. who found themselves in the same situation, give us a call. We'll arrange an appointment and support them as good as we can. Okay. Thank you, Sally. Sally Hanlon from Support After Crime, 432-0555. 432-0555. Back after 11. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prindeville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Uh, by text from different topics we've been dealing with on this program over the past few days. Neil, we are one of the 18 families affected by the CUMH baby organ scandal where babies' organs were incinerated with clinical waste in Belgium. We are one of those families. We lost our little girl in November 2019. We found out over here in Australia through social media about this scandal, and we were never told officially. Nobody officially told us the organs had gone missing either. The way we've been treated is awful. We have no family and no support network over here. It's horrific to find out by social media. We've been living in Australia for 12 years. We came home to surprise the family for a holiday, but it went wrong. The pregnancy had complications. My wife was admitted to CUMH. We only found out officially after the TV program was aired. We never got any registered letter. And that's one of the 18 families associated with this scandal. 
and they are now living in Australia. Uh, lines are open for that and all of the business on drugs. These poor souls in the city are such a pity. They are lost. They all have a story. They're a danger to themselves, but also to society. Unfortunately, it's all so sad. That's just picking up on Seamus Wheelahan's piece, very powerful piece uh, on Friday morning, 12 or 13 minutes of audio when Seamus went into town um, on a uh, Monday. And that's one of the days, of course, when social welfare is paid out. So you see a lot of activity in the city with regards to drug deals going down and people literally shooting up. And he saw so much of it. That was from Friday's program. Town has gone crazy. I was in there yesterday, and this would have been from this would have been on Thursday. They were referring to I had to run to my car down the mall with two junkies following me, shouting at me at eleven o'clock in the morning. Hard to believe in that. As one of the best audio pieces of reporting that I've heard in years. This is with regards to Seamus's audio from the streets of Cork that we aired on Friday. It's shocking but very sad, and these stories need to be told. Uh, well done for telling it, says Siobhan in Black Rock. Thank you for that, because sometimes it's quite difficult accentuating the negative, I can tell you. It's not something that I'm comfortable doing. I'm living in Churchfield, and there is dealing going on in my terrace for a year, and nothing's been done about it. And one final one. How are all these addicts even allowed to walk the streets? They should be in addiction centres. The guardia are very fast to pick people up if you stumble out of a pub. Ah, uh, will you give me a break? I mean, it's. I, 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 let's not be overly bashing the rank and file of the guardie, shall we? I get, an, I get enough accusations of that as it is. Um, anyway, I will come back to that in a few minutes' time, particularly with regards to um, uh, the texter who says they shouldn't be allowed to walk the streets, they should all be in addiction centres. All right, how are we going to do that? No. How are we going to do that if we're spending $165 billion on roads and rail networks? How are we going to do that? Lights open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Tara, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And this is back to uh, the trains. Um, we've heard enough yes. about the buses, but we were dealing with trains this morning. Tell me your own story. Yes, um, well, about seven years ago, um, now this was going back years ago, about seven years ago, my little girl was about 10 days old. And we had travelled to Cork um, because her grandparents and family are from Ballancolic. So we went down on the train to visit a new baby that had been born. So on our way back up, we had stopped off in the junction to cross over to get back to Limerick. And when we got on the train in Limerick Junction, there had been a GAA match on. I think it was Limerick and Tip or Limerick and somebody else, but it was definitely Limerick. So when we got on the train, um, we had got on at one of the carriages and we waited and then another train had pulled in coming from Dublin. And they all got off the train, all the GAA supporters, and they got on on our train and on our carriage. The carriage was packed. It was full. How long ago did you say how long ago this was? It's about seven years ago. Okay. So um, they all got on the train, the guards, security, the Irish rail workers, they all got on the train and the carriage was absolutely packed. What were guards doing getting on the train? Oh, the guards came off the Dublin train and came onto the Limerick train, probably to control the crowd or Good. something. Okay. So um, they got on the carriage anyway, and they were all, they all had Bulmer's cans and Bulmer's bottles, and you know, enjoying themselves or whatever. Okay. Then it got out of hand. So um, a couple of minutes later, a Bulmer's bottle, glass bottle, came flying and hit my little girl's car seat. She was only ten days old in the car seat, and hit the top of the car seat and smashed. So my partner what? at that time got up and said, you know, like, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And the guards told him, sit down. 
So there was uproar, there was smoking, there were drinking, there were banging the doors, banging the overhead thing. Nothing was done about it. So my point is, regardless of what goes on on a train um, or anything like that, I don't think the guards are going to care what goes on. There's no point putting guards on a train that they're, they're not going to do anything for. You know what I mean? And I think, like... You know, I'm all for guards and everything, but like, you know, and they do police the areas and things like that. But when there's things like that going on in a train and the guards get on, they're not going to do anything about it. It's as simple as. Okay, let me just rewind a little bit. When the Bulmer's bottle flew through the air, it hit your baby buggy with the baby in it and smashed Yes, it's like I had a silver a silver bar over the over the car seat, um, and yeah. you lift it, and it hit that and it smashed. Where now, did the Where did the glass go? Oh, some of the glass fragments were on her blanket and everything. Most of the bottle went down the side um, because she was in by the window, and I was sitting alongside her, so it went in by the window. But some of the glass fragments were actually on the blanket of the child. So um, a couple of inches lower, the bottle in itself would have hit the child's face. Oh yeah, like even if the hood of the car seat was pulled back and it had hit the silver bar anyway, her head would have been completely split open or she would have, you know, got glass in the face or anything like that if the hood was pulled back. So some Um, character just decides, some randomer just decides to fling a glass Bulmer's bottle down the carriage. Oh yeah, they were were throwing stuff everywhere. They were digging the head off each other on the carriage. Um, the guards were trying to separate them. That was fine. It would happen again a couple of minutes later. They'd be smoking on the train. They were banging this. They were throwing this. They were throwing that. Everything was going on. The guards were just, you know, not happily enough standing there. They were trying to control the crowd. I will say that. But they still never done anything about it. Even when I brought it to the attention that, look, the glass bottle is after hitting a 10-day-old baby, you know? And it was just like, relax. They'll be fine. We'll be getting off now shortly in a minute. Do, do you think that the Gardaí were following one particular group of thugs? Well, no, I think they were trying to manage the crowd because the crowd of people were unbelievable. Yeah, but you in know, your carriage, I mean, were, were there other guards in other carriages? Oh, there was other guards on other carriages too, yeah. Mine was separated. Mine was like, you know, the disabled part of the carriage where it would say you can fit a wheelchair and a pram in and then you have the round toilet and then the next carriage was full and, and they had guards in it as well. So there was guards on every gar- on every carriage um, of the train. Uh, and there's only like three carriages now because it's the Limerick Junction to Limerick train. So it wasn't, you know, that big massive train, but they were still on it. Um, but nothing seemed to be done about it. You must you know? have got an awful fright, newborn baby. Well, I did because boy. like I jumped up. My first reaction as a mom is to jump up and, you know, be ready like but um, my partner at that time stood up and you know and he was chose just to sit back down that they would start it out nothing ever came about Neil you know there's no point putting guards on trains um, with things like that especially because nothing's going to be done you know and another thing my mum is a dialysis patient we travelled to Beaumont uh, about two years ago and there was a gang on the train as well. It was something to do with, it could be longer, it was pre-COVID. Um, something got to do with a concert. And there was guards as well on that train. Mm. And, they, you know, the language out of them, the throwing things around. Now, the cups were plastic, I will say that. But the drinks were flying. And we were just sitting in the middle of them. Hang on, we paid a hundred and odd euros for a ticket here. to uh, Sitting amongst this mayhem, like. Yes, yes. And uh, we asked to be moved. And we were told there was no seats available. So I said to my mum, look, we'll be there shortly. We're nearly in, you know, wherever, Port Leash or whatever. And the, like, 
we were subjected to that. I mean, why can't I have a particular carriage for things like that? You know, and or no carriages. I mean, I'd love to hear of other stories from people who travel mm. on the trains. I mean, yours is horrific. Thank God, ten yeah. year, a ten-year-old newborn baby, yeah, and a bottle flying through the air. Like, is is it mm. too much to suggest that? There should be a zero alcohol policy. Is it is it going way oh, over definitely. the top saying that people should be their their bags should be scanned getting on board trains? Uh, well, yeah. I think there should be a no alcohol policy whatsoever um, because you know you don't know what somebody's like when they have um, alcohol inside them. You don't know what they could turn to. You know you don't know how aggressive somebody can be when they have alcohol first of all inside in them. Um, and then the other hazard is the bottles breaking and you know when they're being smashed, like my own incident. But I think the alcohol should be a no go area on the train. Thanks for that, Tara. Appreciate you taking the call. Horrific and yeah, all as it no was. Bother. Appreciate. Thank you so much. Text 0868104106. Um, following Seamus's piece on Friday, a lot of texts on that. Heroin is so serious that mandatory quarantine is required to remove the customer base from the market and then go after the drug dealers. This situation in Cork is unacceptable. As to Neil's comments that the city fathers have no solution, well, I say silence means consent by doing nothing. Not quite sure what you mean by mandatory quarantine is required to remove the customer base from the market and then go after the drug dealers. Uh, maybe it makes sense to other people. Heroin is so serious um, in the city and there isn't a day goes by that we don't have stories to share on it. There's that and lots more besides. Um, and talking about heroin, there was a text there earlier on um, that I read out. One of them um, which one was it? It uh, doesn't matter which one. It's one of the ones that we're referring to, um, um, you know, addiction centres. I mean, it, it beggars belief, actually, that we can find, and I know I'm like a scratched record, that we can actually find 165 billion euro uh, to improve road networks, to build the Cork to Limerick motorway, uh, to put in some kind of a plan for a commuter, commuter rail network uh, in Cork, 165 billion, and a further uh, 360 million per year on cycling and walking infrastructures. So that's huge amounts of money, right? But none of it really is is so much life-changing that it will make a huge amount of difference to all our lives. It might save us a little bit of time in our commutes and things like that. But the real issues, of course, which is housing and addiction problems and crime and lack of guardy, they seem to be the more glaringly obvious things that one would be throwing 165 billion euro at, I would have thought. But that, what the heck, what do I know? Your thoughts on that, text 0868104106. But with regards to addiction centres, that's not a far cry, actually, from, say, for instance, safe injection centres. Graham, good morning. Hi, Neil, how are you? And you wanted to pick up on that because uh, God knows we've seen so many people who should be in treatment um, or at least, if nothing else, shooting up safely, right? Yeah, I would be all for that in the city, yeah. Mm. Um, and do you think it's going to happen that they will identify a place to put it? Eventually, yes, I do. I do believe that it will happen. Um, but I think with regard to someone in addiction or active addiction, I think time is huge. You know what I mean? And the longer this goes on, you know, we could possibly lose more and more people. I mean, i just seen recently, much, I think it was Seamus Whelan put up on Facebook about a young boy named Leon. Leon, yes. Recently. Yeah. yeah, and his mother was also calling for, um, I suppose, safe centres for, for injection. Well, I spoke to her on the air. This is the mother of a son who has now passed away who didn't recognise her when she would pass him and he's sleeping in the doorway of Debenhams. He didn't know who she was. That's how far gone Leon was, Miss Fortune. Yeah, 
and like Leon's story is, is, is very common you know um, not just in Cork City but the country and the world over you know what I mean and obviously we're just chatting about Cork specifically but it, it's extremely common unfortunately you know Are people overly judgmental then of uh, people when they see them in doorways or see them or see the needles um, do you think that we kind of regard them as a lost cause and a nuisance and we shouldn't is it? Yeah, so like what I like, I'm nearly five years in recovery myself, and of course, I'm speaking from someone who has experience with addiction itself. Recovery from what, if you don't mind me asking? Alcohol and drugs, nearly five years clean and sober. So, I, of course, I'm coming from the point of view of experience, and you know, I do understand that you know, there's people out there who in Cork City specifically who they just can't really come to terms that their city is how it is at this moment. And, of course, judgment is going to arise from that place. You know what I mean? Like, I've, you know, I've noticed this a long, a long, long time ago that the city is getting, un- again, unfortunately, worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. But I'm coming from a non-judgmental aspect. When I see someone in active addiction, like, I uh, I had seen Leanne num- on numerous occasions in around the city because I observe these people. I noticed these people because I was one of them. And did the, your the, did your drug addiction include heroin? Yeah, well, I, I smoked heroin. Yeah, I didn't inject it. Um, but I, I my thing was like cocaine, ecstasy, speed, um, anything that would give me a rush. That was that was my thing. Um, but thankfully, I am out the other side of that now. And as I said, I'm nearly five years. But again, I'm coming from. We spoke before, didn't we, Graham? I'm starting to recall a conversation with somebody like you. Was that you? Yeah, I was on with yourself um, a yeah. few times. Neil. Okay, so you you would have done you would have done and spell in prison as well, I think. No, that was probably someone else. So oh, I didn't know okay. The yeah. Okay. But, um, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But how did you get clean? I mean, were you homeless for periods of time? Uh, temporarily, yeah. I was legitimately homeless for about three months. Um, I was just literally a lost cause. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I was. And at that point, I. And how far had you fallen? I mean, what was your former life like? Um, like, Well, my mental health took a turn for the worst at a very young age. I actually started using drugs when I was 11 and alcohol at 12 and my life just spiraled out of control. I was inside with a psychiatrist at the age of 13 and expelled from school at 16, straight into rehab. Uh, Failed rehab stint, just, it just got worse and worse. God, and you you were just into your early teens when all that was happening. Yeah, I was. Yeah, as I said, it was a very young age. You know, how did you fund all of that lifestyle? It's expensive. Yeah, well, it it is, and uh, and it's not at times. Um, you know, on, the poor thing for me was that I knew a lot of people who had drinking drugs, um, and I would just be their shadow. You know, that's how desperate I was. Um, I was just, I'd literally just bomb. I, if people had drugs, I would leave. If my friends didn't have drugs, and they knew someone else around the corner did. I would leave my friends and go around and, and start chatting to that person and just and just just be their shadow for the night. How were you? How were things in school? They were okay. Um, I, look, uh, I I didn't try my best in school. Um, at that point, I, I didn't care about education. I didn't care about my life. I didn't care if I survived or, or lived. You know what I mean? Uh, even through my kind of mid to late teens. I was constantly getting suspended, um, which obviously led to being expelled at 16. I just had a I don't care attitude, you know, and I, and I think that's what, you know, to get back to the point as well of kind of judgmentalism and, and, and non-judgmentalism. 
like I didn't care. I did. I had a I don't care attitude, and I think that's what a lot of addicts have. And I would be coming from the point of view of of expressing compassion and understanding towards these people. And I get it as well. I I absolutely understand. You know, people could say, "Yeah, okay, I understand that I have compassion for this person," but like, what happens when that junkie again? I'm doing that with bunny hairs here. Yeah. Uh, judgmental statement. Um, goes into an old lady's home and takes her life savings. How can you have compassion then? And I would absolutely agree. Compassion is not needed in that moment. But I was told, I was told, I was told on Friday, and part of Seamus's audio also included that somebody who's a heroin addict, or you use the term junkie, again bearing in mind that that person was someone's child, parent, or partner, but that they would they would literally rob their grandmother for their next line of you know their next shot of coke of, of heroin. Yeah, and I think that tells all that. that is that the person, or is it the, the is it the person, or is it the drug? It's a mixture of both. It's yeah. a combination of both. And at the end of the day, you know, people are on about drugs, and and you know, you could say cannabis is the gateway drug. I don't agree with that. I think there's a step before that, and it's the real gateway drug is called unhealed trauma. And we all have trauma. Neil, you have trauma. I have trauma. My next door neighbour does. You know, we all have trauma. If you're alive and breathing right here, right now you've experienced some form of trauma in your life. It's part and parcel of being a human being. But there's levels to trauma. There's mild trauma and severe trauma. And from what I can see and what I can gather and and people I've been chatting to, those who are in active addiction have had numerous severe traumas in their life. It could be the loss of, let's say, a parent at a very young age. It could be, you know, due to whatever reason. It could be abuse. It could be school bullying. It could be all sorts of things like that. Absolutely, Neil. And that's like... When you, that's why I have compassion and understanding because I don't look at that person, you know, in the present moment. Let's say I meet someone right, right here, right now. Like, I don't look at them in the present moment. I have an understanding that they have had something in the past. They're, that's a journey that brought them to that, yeah. Some yeah, reason like, look, behind it. put it in, in a kind of a, a, a light-hearted kind of funny way. Like, I always say to people, right, and excuse my kind of swearing up no one's born a dickhead right your life experience makes you one because that's these terms that are thrown out to these people oh he's an an asshole he's a dickhead he's a junkie he's a scumbag yeah no one's born like that your life experiences create that for you and of course you know I have to had to take responsibility in my own life with my own using and know that I had a choice in the matter I know that I know that and and I've spent I've spoken to many many people who've gone through issues similar to yours and I've, I've and I speak a lot with people who are currently addicted um and and I, and I appreciate that stage in the life but I'm I'm very keen as often as I can to find out what life was like before it you know do you know what I'm trying to say as in the yeah. reasons why yeah. like the build up yeah what what came before that led to this spiraling of a, a, a out of control and and ending up um, being, say, for instance, a heroin addict shooting up in doorways in the city. Like, there's always a story, is what you're saying, behind it. Um, there like, absolutely is. Yeah. Is, is, is it, like, for instance, could it be said that, like, school, school, for instance, doesn't suit every child, you know? It, no, like, it, it, it does not, no. And that's the thing with me, was that school did not suit me. I, um, I have a creative brain, I excelled at things like art and woodwork. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything else, excuse me, everything else was kind of average or just below average. But with the creative aspects of creative subjects, I excelled at that. So if you get bored, if you get bored in a school setting, right, idle idle hands kind of thing, um, it will lead to other 
temptations or other attractions because school isn't for you, right? Or like yeah. say, if, if yeah. you have parents in the home who don't give a damn about you or you're being physically or sexually abused, uh, there will be other avenues that you will go down to um, um, to try and get away from that. Yeah, and you used words there, Neil, that I really like, and you said to try and get away. And what it actually is, is escapism. Yeah. And that's what addiction is. Addiction is basically escapism from oneself. I don't like what's going on right here, right now, so I, I'm going to try and get a better feeling. It's a non-acceptance of what's going on right now. And even in school, you know, if someone, you know, we as human beings, we need to be gently challenged to get out of our comfort zone in a positive way. And, you know, for a lot of students, they don't, they don't get that in school with, with particular subjects. And of course they go, okay, I'm feeling bored right now. I want to escape. Or I'll leave school early. Or I won't show up tomorrow. Or I'll go with my friends. Or I'll take this. Or I'll take that. Or we're, we're always looking for some form of excitement in our lives. Yeah. No one wants to lead. No one intentionally leads a dull life. Yeah. And that can obviously go either way. Then well, you have a good handle on it, in fairness, ha- having been through it. And unfortunately, of course, we do hear of many who overdose or lose their life by accident or fall in the river or they're hit by a car or they get attacked by others and they get killed or others take their own lives. They just have had enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, again, is that, it's that escapism. I don't like what I'm currently feeling. I want a better one. Were you ever, were you know, you ever that bad, I wonder? For which? to try uh, attempt to take my own life. That's just that you didn't want to live anymore. Yeah, geez, I've been in the psychiatric ward. I've, um, I've tried to take my life about six times. And what I mean by that was three of them were cries for help. And I've no problem saying that at all. I absolutely was crying for attention and help because I couldn't help myself. And the other three were genuine. I don't want to be here anymore. Everyone is better off without me. Well, you know that that wasn't the case now, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. And, you know, back then, just wasn't in the right frame of mind. And that's what, that junkie, that scumbag that you see walking around town, that person is how I was. They're not in the right frame of mind. And if we go, come in there with judgment and pressure and you should be doing better when they can't even sit with themselves, it's, it's not helping the situation. So when you have 165 billion on a road, they're up in UCC now, a big PR stunt, you hear of 165 billion on a new road network or a new rail link. Um, that squandered yeah. that squandered money. If we're ignoring the bigger problems in Irish society, isn't isn't it? Yeah. Look, uh, to, to be honest, Neil, I think that's I, I, it's laughable. It's just like how they're so misguided with direction of funds is it's laughable. I I just use, it really tells what their priorities like, and that's why we need you know multiple things happening like you having me on me and everyone else around Cork who's possibly listening right now who are you know activists in 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 this space we're putting in the groundwork are you are you giving are you giving back now at this stage of your life yeah I would do lots of you know obviously come on air a lot I would do lots of public speaking gigs I would be in and out of schools youth cafes um, you know my motto is prevention rather than cure and and try and catch them as young as possible you know wouldn't it be it wouldn't look great, would it? Uh, the optics wouldn't be great if you had uh, an injection centre on the Grand Parade, say, for instance, uh, where uh, users and addicts are going in and out, injecting themselves with heroin. Well, look, again, for those who are, who are judgment, judgmental in this space, it's an eyesore. For those who, of us who are understanding and compassionate and know that this is the right course of action, it's okay, it's here. It's about time, you know. Um, no, it's, it's kind of saying it's kind of saying we've lost 
this battle, isn't it? What, with having a safe injection centre? Yeah. No, it's saying that we're now currently starting to win it because we're doing something different. That's how I look at it. We're doing something different in the sense that we are allowing people or encouraging people to use heroin in a safe clinical hygiene facility. Yes, we, we, that is, if you look at it, Neil, I, I'll put it this way. If you look at mental health, right, um, over the years, everything has been suppressed, brushed under the rug, the carpet and everything else, and just keep your mouth quiet. You, you're probably broken or there's something wrong with you if you open your mouth. Thankfully, that is starting to change now. More and more people are coming out about how they're feeling. And you can see that yourself, Neil, can you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I would love to live in a world where there's more compassion and understanding and to use your words, people who are non-judgmental. Yeah. And I feel if you, if you switch kind of areas there now from mental health back to addiction, I think that is the new coming out. That is the new speaking about how you're feeling with regards to safe injection centres. I think any more holding this back will lead to more and more lives being lost. Why? Because with every safe injection centre, there is medical staff on board ready to treat anyone in case of any form of overdose or any early symptoms of an overdose. If you look at the states where it, they're practically widespread now at this point, in some states in America, overdoses are down as much as 50% Neil, in that area. Is, yeah, but, but is, is usage down? Overdose lives might be saved, but is it tackling the... The fight against it's not really, isn't it? I mean, it's like let's yeah, let's be what, honest. What, like what, it, it, it just gets worse. Not not necessarily, Neil. And my thoughts on that are: there's been a war on drugs for decades, right? Since the early, you know, seventies, so on and so forth. They announced that look, we're we're fighting this with um, with everything that we have. I get that. Great. I was for that when I first heard of it, you know, a good few years back or whatever. But my belief now is that the war on drugs. Will, will never be over. The supply will always be there based off of various reasons, I believe, and look, that's for another discussion. So if we just accept that the supply is here, then drugs work off of the supply and demand. Okay, so the demand, where's the demand coming from? It's coming from an unhealed trauma inside that the user, yeah. That's where it's coming and from. And the injection centre then, would that... Would that um Check the purity of the heroin as well to, to see, uh, or for instance, the crack cocaine. It does. It, it checks. From what I gather from from um, the research I've done in the states, it would do. Yeah, it would. It would check the purity. It would check um, everything that comes with it. There's brand new needles. There's brand new. Every, everything is spotless, clean. Everything is there for them. And at the end of the day, Neil, that's that's a human being, as you know. You've, you're always trying to see what the build-up is. That's a human being who has a story. Yeah, oh, undoubtedly. And, look, and would the yeah. would the injection centre then also offer an alternative to shooting up that pure, unadulterated yeah. heroin or crack cocaine, well, as in methadone or a treatment program, or is there no yeah, treatment programs well, available? No, of course, no, there is. And that it's not just like, oh, come here, take your drugs and go away again. So then you go into this treatment program that you can't get in the door of unless you're sometimes 30 days clean or sometimes 90 days clean. What's the point in that? Yeah, well, look, that's, that's probably for, I don't know, maybe another day's discussion. But, but how, can I, a, I how, can a, how can a homeless person sleeping in a, do- in a doorway get to, say, 30 days clean? Like... It's yeah. impossible. No, well, but it's not every single one like that. And that is the, it, it, it's a good and a bad thing in a way because not all centers and programs are like that. Okay. okay. Um, and that's, that's the thing. And if you were then to try and find the ones with a shorter amount of, of required sobriety, there's, there's a jam packed list. And look, there's always going to be problems. But 
if we just sway towards having compassion and still having a, a belief in this person that one day they will change because recovery is possible and that's the truth of it. Okay. And I'm, you know, I can speak from that space, you know what I mean? And I'm sure a lot of people around the city can too and I know okay. a lot of them. And what, yeah, and while you help with them and encourage them to try and change their lives and turn it around, what else do you do with your life now that you're clean? Um, I, I, was at, I was doing work with a recovery group from the States. They're called the Phoenix. They're a massive um, group in America. And I've done a workshop for them recently um, on building, I suppose, positive habits and routines while in recovery. And I was asked, there was a few questions at the very end, and one person asked, what was the best thing that I got from being in recovery? And it really struck me because it was actually a really powerful question, and I kind of gently reflected on it before, but right in that moment, it really hit me. And it was really just to have, you know, for my daughter to have her dad back. The dad before the SHIT hit the fan. Did she know, did she know the dad before? Uh, no, she was probably a bit young to see, see the chaos, thankfully. Um, but I'm glad that she's starting to grow up now and she can see me for what I am in this moment. You know, and I can fully give her everything as, as she's in her early teens now. Mm. So I can be present and, I, I, you know, I suppose every day I'm grateful for, you know, just being here for her in, in you know, her time of need or yeah, whatever it may yeah. be. Did you, did, um, you bo- did you box, Graham? I did, yeah. Well, MMA. I fought in MMA for about three years. Yeah. Was this before, during, or after? Or when? During, during my active addiction. Um, that was the thing that kind of I was while I was in active addiction. I was literally looking for anything to validate that yes, I can destroy myself right now. You know, with drinking drugs. And you know, I I had eight MMA fights. I had five wins, three losses overall. And those three times that I lost, it was like that was my ticket to destroy myself for months on end with drinks, drinking drugs and not go training and just leave my life fall apart, you know. Um, but I honestly believe that without martial arts, uh, I don't know where I'd be. Just for, as a young male at that time, for me to go in and, and release that pent-up anger, that does, you know, those overbearing thoughts, that, that heavy energy, and then half an hour later after hitting a punch bag or hitting pads or sparring or whatever, maybe I can breathe again. And just then... You didn't take up MMA fighting because you were angry and wanted to hit people, no? Um, No, it was actually more of a form of self-harm. I wanted people to hit me. Oh, God. That that was my thing. Um, But luckily that shifted, you know, I'd say after about six months of training, I was doing pretty well. The coach was like, look, we want you to fight. You're, You're a sponge here, you're soaking everything up and you're putting into practice as needed. And then in that moment when I heard that, I was like, oh, Maybe I could actually be good at this. And I decided to focus as much energy as I could in, into that space, you know. Did you just stop then? Um, yeah, so in 2012, I had a bad knockout. I, I fought for a title and I got knocked out pretty early in the fight. And it, I was heartbroken. I really was. And, you know, I was so emotional, literally minutes after the fight in the locker room, I just said to my coach, I said, look, I, I'm never fighting again. I've had enough. And... When I done that, I walked away from the sport, but what I was really doing was walking away from everything that kept me sane. And I was now basically had a big, massive hole in my life. Um, I had lots of intense negative emotions and active addiction, and it was a recipe for disaster, which was validated by the years that preceded that. The know? years that followed. And how did you, did you just quit drugs, or was that cold turkey, or what happened? Yeah, so I in on the 31st of October 2016, I was... 
I used to fight at 11 stone in MMA. I was weighing around 19 stone at that point after I was on heavy, heavy medication for my mental health. Um, I was on steroids all the time because I developed Crohn's disease. I was bloated. I was all over the place. Um, I really reflected on my life. You know, I'd always wanted to give up drinking drugs and relapse, you know, a month in or whatever it may be. But this time I had never felt... You know, it was just a really, really, really strong, deep conviction that I need to change here and I'm going to do it. So I, I did. I locked myself in my bedroom, not literally, but, but metaphorically for about nine months, I'd say. Um, I just, I didn't have my phone for about two or three months of those. Anyone that called to the door, I wasn't here. Um, and what I was doing the whole time was I was acting out what's called personal development in my bedroom. I was meditating. I was researching ways to, you know, get over cravings. Oh, was there there was withdrawal symptoms though? Yeah, surely. Yeah, there was. There was. There was lots of kind of, you know, to be honest, it wasn't necessarily physical withdrawal symptoms. It was more mental. And what I mean by that was that phrase FOMO, fear of missing out. No, but I heard that with heroin, it's chronic pain, every bone yeah. in your body, every joint. Yeah, well, I've heard organ. that as well. But I, I was not actively injecting heroin at that point. It was at that point. It was pretty much every other drug that I could get my hands off. Um, you smoking it though, aren't you? Yeah, that was a couple of times, a good few years back, yeah. Yeah. But, so, um, and nine months later, you came out a different person, is it? Yeah, I was like, came out of, I suppose, addiction, hibernation. I just came out just this new person. And, you know, I remember when I was 16, I reflected back to when I was 16 in rehab and we had a couple of meetings where my parents were there and, you know, I had to apologise to them and, you know, like, you know, it's kind of seeking forgiveness for, for my past behaviour and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I flopped at that. I just, I was walked out a couple of times. I was like, I'm not saying sorry. You know, just in total denial of, of, of my behaviour and my actions. But this time I was, I think it was around 28, uh, 27, 28. And, you know, I was like, I was just a different person. And I did do it this time. I apologised to people that I had either physically assaulted or, you know, done certain things to or just you know just people that I had a bit of resistance with or did they all accept your apology um I wasn't looking for that um I wasn't looking for a message back to say you know I you know Graham I, for, I forgive you or whatever I know you're a different person yeah I got a couple um but I had to text a lot of people and I got you know 80% did not reply back um at all what does that tell you about that 80% that they didn't accept your apology is it well what that tells me is that they weren't ready to receive it just then um, they were still possibly, um, I suppose, perceived me as that chunky scumbag who had hurt them. Yeah, and, and I, they're absolutely entitled to do that. Yeah, you know, eighty percent um, of them. Yeah, but at least you didn't yeah. use that as an excuse to use again. No, and I was, you know, Neil, for for those nine months, I was looking for any excuse at all to to. Just what would, what would you do? I mean, who, like, how would you eat? Would were you alone? Was your family providing you with meals or what? No, my my family were there. Um, my family had taken me back in because I had basically sworn that I would this time um, get get clean and sober and and clean up my act basically. So they were there for me. Lucky um, boy, I, lucky I, boy. You wouldn't have done it without them, I'd say. No, not at all. No, and that's that's a, a valuable point as well, Neil. Is that you know we, we when you're in active addiction or whether you're about to get into recovery or even in recovery long term, whatever it may be, we all need a support system. It doesn't have to be family. It doesn't, like, there's, for me, there's kind of two support systems. One is kind of like family and friends, you know, your intimate relationships, whatever. And the other is kind of the services, the mental health. You know, I was constantly checking in with a psychiatrist in Ravenscourt. I was doing kind of meetings here and there. You know, I had 
both sides of that support system available. And again, as you pointed out there, I am I am very grateful for that because people had given up on me, um, but my family were not one of those. Good, good. Super guy. Uh, good to catch up. Um, I, I hope that people can take some sort of strength themselves in their own situations or maybe in their own family settings that you can come back and life can be good and much, much better than it ever were before. Graham, thanks for taking the call. Uh, continued success with everything you do, all right? Thanks a million, Neil. Appreciate the time. Cheers. Text 0868104106. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. All right. Uh, line 6. Seamus, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, so we have um, all of the Cabinet and probably lots of hangers-on and an awful lot of members of the Garda Shikana at UCC. Um, do you think this is a PR stunt? Uh, 100%, yeah, it's a PR stunt. Um, 165 million is it on a motorway 165 um, billion sorry excuse me billion <laughs> that's a big difference between a million and a billion <laughs> massive massive difference 165 billion uh, PR stunt on a motorway um, during a housing crisis uh, I mean one in four on waiting lists in the or sorry one in um, was it one million almost one million on waiting lists in the hospital we have a housing crisis that's just spiraling out of We control. have an energy crisis as well. I an hope energy, to talk about that well, the tomorrow. Only reason, the there's been 27, the there's been 27 energy bill increases across electricity and gas this year. Yeah, yeah so the, basically the people are sold out. The only reason they want to keep the data centres um, in Ireland is to fuel and facilitate their digital economy. So Pascal Donoghue can sell those economic fiscal policies and numbers to the people when they come looking for the vote. Well, there's there's the that, but you know when they talk about war on cars and, you know, this all yeah. talking about a greener world and climate, they're talking about, yeah. you know, tax and, you know, more carbon charges and if you drive a diesel car, they're coming after you, they drive a petrol car, they're coming. These guys don't even drive themselves. Like, they've, got, they've, yeah. got, their, they've got drivers, they've got cars provided for them, they have expenses, they get mileage, yeah, well, Christy Dignam, the front man of Aslan, came out at the weekend on the Red Tops and effectively said it that these politicians that we have in power at the moment are no more than clowns. And he said specifically that Leo Varadkar doesn't give a you-know-what. I won't spell it out, but it's in the Red Tops. And that's coming from Christy Dignam. And, he, you know, he's... Yeah, you know, he's a he's a, a well seasoned Dublin man who's seen you know. No, he, I know. And I, I love the guy, but oh, I just he's, he's probably saying that are they living in a parallel universe to the rest of us? They are know? living in a parallel universe. It's all it's all designed to fuel their own you know line their own pockets. I mean, Leo Radker's out of touch. This man was out in the beer and panty bar at the weekend. Who is entitled to? Yeah, well, the owner of which uh, only a couple no, of No, I mean, ago, just let's not, let's not personally. Yeah, we won't go into the details, but anyway. He's entitled to go out for a jar as the rest of us. But, but, you know, like Christy Dignam made that point about the fact that they're out of touch. They don't give, uh, they don't care about the public. They, 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 you know, this is a coalition that's uh, out of touch. You know, when you talk about numbers, 1.5 million on a printer. Um, three billion of taxpayers' money on a children's hospital, the most expensive children's hospital in the world, to no avail. It's not even available to the public. Um, I mean, you know, 165 billion on a motorway when we have a housing crisis, that's just... Well, it, it, all, it all adds up to 165 billion. It's happening in various parts. An awful lot of it is in Cork. But yeah. the 165 yeah. billion is actually 16 billion more 
than the last plan had. So not only did they find that, but they found an extra 16 billion as well. Yeah. Well, look, at you know, this is a government, you know, at the moment it's been led by a lame duck t-shirt, Michal Martin. So what did he do in the first three weeks in power when he was um, selling transparency and the new Fianna Fáil to... To, uh, to voters back in December 2019 when he was, um, uh, you know, debating the, the, the election campaign uh, uh, live on the air on prime time and the like. What did he do for the first three weeks in power? They rushed through legislation to ensure their pay rises. That's the first legislation they passed. I mean, that's telling and it's fitting, you know, uh, when you talk about this government, they're out of touch. And, you know, the you know, at least the people of Dublin Bay South, you know, who are very powerful, a lot of very powerful people in that part of the country, they uh, turned their nose, you know, they turned their, they turned away from James Gagan, who was uh, just a, a young Fianna Gael politician, uh, who's a career politician, effectively, a young barrister out in Dublin Bay South. He was propped up by Michal Martin and uh, Colvney and, and Leo Bradker and you know, they, they, those people turned their back on them and said, no, we'll vote Labour. You know, this this country just needs a whole new um, government in, in power. We, we might come back, we we might come back to new. that in the morning because that would appear yeah. to be promises that Sinn Féin will make all right, but we'll see what we well, do with that in the any, morning. Anything, anything that's different will produce a different result. If you stick with the same, you'll end up with the same result. Einstein referred to that. Yeah, but all Sinn Féin have to do is keep on promising young people a house keep on promising them out. They may not have to well, deliver. You know, I but hate the pro- to, you know right, as much okay. as people might hate to say it, you know, if you give somebody else a chance, they might actually deliver on something, but this crowd won't do it. True enough. I haven't okay. been doing it for 10 years. All right, okay. We'll come you back know. to it in the morning. I want to leave on a, on a happy note and uh, something that's very, very culturally, culturally important to us here in Cork. If you can hear me with a box here in front of me and all sorts of lovely kind of baking paper, that's because I have the most ginormous uh, slab of Chester cake in front of me. It's from Chesty Ladies um, and that company is owned by Cloda Halpin. She joins me by phone. Cloda, good morning. Hello, how are you? Good. So I have to sing, I'm a Chesty Lady. You're a Chesty Lady. I'm a Chesty Lady. Join in, come on, I'm a Chesty Lady. <laughs> Get your knife out. Anyway, what have, what have I got here? Did you bake this? I baked that last night especially Why did you bake it so big? Are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> But that's the way I was taught. You have to bake it big. You have to bake it for everybody because okay. everyone will want a piece. Now, while I'm talking to you, I'm literally cutting <laughs> into the slab. This recipe is 100 years old. Where'd you get it? At least, I would say. And um, so, obviously, I got it from my mom, who got it from her mother. My granddad was, sorry, I'm super nervous. You're not. My grandfather would have been um, a baker in Thompson's Bakery, which was then Cove Bakery. Oh um, and then all my aunties and all worked in summers there. And I suppose... My aunt used to make wedding cakes and all sorts of stuff, and it was just kind of passed on. So that's one of my favourite things to make, chest cake. It's one of the most popular things I make. That um, is absolutely delicious. <laughs> there was no pressure there when I heard you are going to eat it on air. Oh, my God. Can I have another bite? Keep talking. Um, that's mm. kind of it, really. We just, we've all learned to bake, and I suppose I picked it up on my sister the most. Um, it is moist. That it's, is the important thing. It's full of fruit. <laughs> Which you don't always get, phone, incidentally. I was on the phone to my mother yesterday going going through the recipes. She said, Claudia, you've made this Chester a hundred times before. I said, yeah, but I've never made it for a meal in Red Offense. What's so the, what are the like spices? What are the spices in that? I can't tell you. Why? If I told you, it has to kill you. It's a secret recipe. <laughs> and I had, I volunteered for a while before the pandemic in um, St. Benedict's Priory, the Bible Gardens in Cove. And I, mean, I had people get so odd because I just, I wouldn't give them the recipe. Do you, put, do you soak it in just, tea? 
I can't tell you that. Are you going to tell me something, woman? I mean, I can't are, tell you. Okay, I genuinely are they are they ca- are they cakes that didn't get sold that went back, which is what Chester is supposed All to be. All I say it? is, I suppose we we make a posh Chester cake in Cove. Well, I do. I make a posh Chester cake. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so they make Chester. I thought Chester cake was primarily a North Side thing. Um, I suppose it was. Let's I say a hundred years ago, the recipe came from the North Side, didn't it? It probably did. Like, I mean, it probably did. That I know it's just a million delicious. other things in Cork, but I don't know if it's outside of Cork, but. And um, I know when I started making it first, like I had to make it supervised. I wasn't allowed to make it on my own. And you'll tell me nothing um, at all about the contents, I apart do. from there's icing on top of it. I just to enjoy it and know that it is. And I said to I said to my mother last night, I'm going to drop one off and shut him out. And I said, well, if I'm going to say it's the best chest cake in Cork, I'm going to have to back it up. I'll tell you something, it would be hard to beat it, that's for sure. I, d- I don't like it when they're dry, you know. I like no, it when they're moist yeah. and kind of sticky and slightly messy. Yes. You know that kind of way? My mum said, you, always, you have to get a good Chester. It has to be able to barely fit in your mouth when you're biting into it. And where can people get the Chesty Ladies Chester cake? Uh, well, I'm on Instagram. And um, when I started up, I was, going to, I was starting up in the summer. I said, this is it. I love baking. I'm going to start. And my husband said, go for it. If you get sick of it, you can always stop. You tried it. Because I'd hate to fall out of love with baking because it's something I, like, I love it. Like, I, I absolutely I love it. It's something I, I do for... Is it in shops reasons. or what? Or where, where can people um, You can get it in Cove Rambler's Coffee Shop at the weekends. They're open Saturdays and Sundays at the moment for the winter. So they've opened a new coffee shop in the summer. Um, and all funds obviously go into the club. And um, a friend of mine... I used to drop cakes up for all the time. Her brother, Billy O'Leary, is the chairman of the Ramblers. And they were looking for someone to bake cakes and they wanted somebody local. Uh, that's great. for that's, an audition. That, that's great. Got for a load of cakes. They tasted them and I got a call. Yeah, brilliant. And I was going, oh my God, oh my God. That's so, great for cold though, started. but it doesn't, it doesn't help the people in the city. Well, I mean, if anyone wants to stock my Chester cake, feel free. I'm, I'm now endorsed by Neil and Redison, so you can't go wrong. <laughs> you were here. Um, you were no, here at the crack of dawn this morning dropping it off, I'm I told you. Because I have a school run. I have four kids at home, so I have to get back to get them dressed and fed before school. My well, it's some of the nice, finest Chester that I've ever tasted. I need to get off the air so I can have a bigger slab of it with a cup of tea or something. <laughs> Chesty well, lady, yeah. as in C-H-E-S-T-I-E. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm a chesty lady. You're a chesty lady. <laughs> I'll have to find that song. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, um, people can go and check you out on Instagram. Thank you so much for yeah. your kindness. I'm a huge fan of Chester, and that's right up there amongst the best of them. Well done, Clodagh. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks All for having me, Andy. I appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. Bye-bye. Got to get off. We need to eat more of this. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.